0: Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Scott Burdick, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's great
1: to be here with you.
0: Yeah, yeah it's great <laughs> to have you. And for those who don't haven't seen it, Susan Lyon, who we interviewed, I don't know, maybe a month ago, is your wife. You're you're a lucky yeah. man, I have to say. She's an amazing, amazing artist, amazing woman. She already told us quite a bit about at least about about you in context to her own life. So we already know a little bit about you. We got some of the gossip, but I'd like to know back to the beginning, how you got into art, how you got interested in art, and when did you know you wanted to become an artist?
1: Well, uh, I mean, I think like a lot of artists, you've always just been interested in it. So, you know, I, I loved um, painting and writing and reading, and uh, I grew up, I was born with kind of a... Um, uh, a, a a disability, severe club feet. And so I was, uh, uh, had I been born 10 years before, I would have been crippled my whole life. I probably wouldn't have walked. And um, so I was lucky enough that a Dr. Tazgin, uh took my family in because we were actually deemed uh, my parents' insurance uh, wouldn't have covered me having medical things because they said it was a pre-existing condition, even though my dad worked at a drugstore. Uh, had insurance through that job, so it's just one of those tricks the insurance did. But the doctor Tashin said he would do it for free. Uh, you know, they had to pay other hospital bills, but um, uh, and so he uh, gave me these operations and actually used uh, my feet. Would photograph them over the years for his book that he wrote, and all the all the you know a lot of the feet doctors all know his book. And uh, mm-hmm. so I grew up in hospitals a lot and uh, on crutches uh, growing up. And, um, so that just gave me a lot of time, you know, in uh, hospitals to, uh, you know, paint or really just draw. I never had painted until I was in art school, my second year of art school, but i I did a lot of drawing and um, and uh, reading books and writing stories and things. And so I think I was interested in in that stuff, but that just kind of gave me a lot of time to do that. So that's probably how I got into it. As far as when I knew I wanted to be, Painter, I I never really was certain about it. And I don't know if I still am that that's the only thing I want <laughs> yeah. to do. Because yeah. I went to I went to art school because I got a scholarship to the academy, um, and I probably wouldn't have gone to school had I not gotten that. And um, uh, and then even after art school, but I wanted to either go into film or writing or art art uh, after high school. I knew that's what I wanted to do, and um, so the scholarship. Got me into the art school, and then after art school, when Sue and I moved in together, and we're making a living, you know, painting and doing commissions and doing gallery stuff, um, I I still went back and would take half uh, half courses, half of a full year courses of just the core things that I wanted. Uh, So, writing, I took creative writing, and I took uh, photography, and I took uh, film. In, at Columbia College in Chicago. So I did that for maybe three years. I, mm. I, I studied that stuff while I was starting to make a living as a painter. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I hope you don't mind, but I'm really curious about the club feet thing, because I've seen you many times in person and haven't noticed a limp or anything. But my brother-in-law had a similar issue. Yeah. And to this day, he still limps, but they literally had to turn his feet around. They were almost on backwards. Is that what That's you had? How mine
1: were, yeah. That's how mine were as well. Really? And I have, I, I'm always getting, I was just on, when we were in San Antonio a few months ago, I was in, when uh, we went to the museums, I was having to use a, a wheelchair because I keep getting stress fractures in my feet. Um, and, okay. uh, you know, I used to like to run and even things like that, but my ankles really don't bend much at all. So um, I, uh, it puts a lot of stress on the front metatarsals. And so I always am getting stress fractures or fractures in my feet from that. Um, so if I wore shorts, you'd be able to tell because my calves really almost have no muscles at all because of the fact that my ankles don't bend. So those muscles that would be bending the ankle uh, don't get used at all. So um, so my, my thighs kind of uh, compensate for that. And you learn how to
0: compensate for it yeah. when you walk yeah. So my guess is you don't jump very high, not a basketball player.
1: Uh, well, you know, ju- yeah, I mean, you don't have that ankle thing, but, you know, jumping, you're using your thighs, too, and stuff. So, you know, you, oh, can, really? you can really do a lot of the same things, you know. Uh, I even liked doing sports, you know, once I got old enough to, to do things. And it was my so I did uh, did some sports and things like that when I was in, like, uh, late grade school and a little bit of high school. Um, but uh and and like to run and stuff like that but I would never be like at the i, I can never run um because it's not being efficiently done with the ankle bounce you know right. so i could have be a track star or something like that but I could still run yeah uh, you know and get the all of that so man yeah. so thank anyways. goodness
0: for modern technology yeah my brother-in-law he plays basketball quite well even though he's got that condition as well but
1: when we go to india and
0: places i will see people who have what i had um what i have
1: and but hadn't been corrected because they didn't have things and they'll be uh you know crippled their whole life they'll be just on a like a skating around on a skateboard on the ground you know uh, and uh moving around and oftentimes the ones i see are begging and things like that others can of course work you know different types of jobs that where they would be sitting and stuff but um so, yeah, it's uh we're very lucky to have uh, I was
0: very lucky to have uh, found that doctor and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Someone who's got my own health issues. I think about that often. If I was born, I mean, uh, if I was born 30 years before I actually was, I'd probably be dead today. It's just, What issues uh,
1: do you have? What are your health issues?
0: Oh, just I, I ended up I had cancer. But then there were problems with the cancer and I ended up losing my intestines, ended up. Going gangrene after the surgery, and I lost most of my intestines. So now I'm living on four feet of intestines. But I ended up having nine surgeries. That just it would have killed me if it was thirty years earlier, or even maybe not even that far back. But so I often think about that. It's like oh man, without modern medicine, so many people would be suffering so much more. Myself included. Oh, absolutely. I mean, gosh,
1: you you look at what the life expectancy was, and that's has to do with like you said, all the things that. You know, and I don't know if it was for you, but for me, too, I, I was in I grew up uh, going to Children's Memorial Hospital from when I was a little kid and until fifth grade. And then my senior year, I was on crutches the whole year then, too. But I had this gap in between. But every time I went to the hospital, you know, you go in kind of feeling sorry of yourself because you don't get to, you know, go out or do. There, there was a lot of things that you don't you you when you're recovering that you don't get to do. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, then you come up, you get to the hospital. And I was with kids who, you know, uh lost their legs or had cancer, or all the different things, or would never leave or would never walk. And you leave there feeling very lucky and fortunate. And I think a lot of that is just in my life in general. Uh, I feel, and I felt the same way when I got the scholarship to the academy. It was like, gosh, I want to make the most of this then. Yeah. You know? And so you feel fortunate and you feel like you are fortunate. So, you know, to waste your chance would be, you know, would be just, ungrateful you know because you're getting to do things that other people never get to do so i think in some ways it does push you to really you know be like okay i'm gonna make the most of this opportunity you know whatever it is oh
0: absolutely it sounds so cliche but i honestly think i might not have been as successful as i've been if i hadn't gone through that excuse me because i uh i mean for the first few years i was like i don't know how long i have to live i mean it in your case, it wasn't a mortality issue, but I think it's similar in that you're just so grateful for the, to be able to live. You want to make the best of every year. Um, right. but I was just in a rush. It was like, I got to get moving. Cause I, I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how long I can live on this few intestines. So yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, that's, it's, it that does that motivate is, you.
1: Well, you definitely seem to make the most of your time. All you do are these giant paintings, all these interviews, I'm just amazed when I look at your site or talk to you with all the things that you do. It's just crazy.
0: Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Someday I got to figure out how to (laughs) to do less. (laughs) I want (laughs) to lose my mind eventually. Okay, so you obviously you did art, as you said, throughout your life, and then you went to school and you studied art. At what point did you realize you could make it? At what point did you realize this is actually... viable career choice?
1: Well, um, it's interesting because I I had no idea about um, exactly what career I would do. Um, A lot of it was uh, just that I wanted to do something, uh, you know, creative that I was interested in. And so I kind of went to school, not particularly knowing what I would do, but I felt like, uh, you know, I'd always worked since I was a kid. So I, I wasn't really we didn't have a lot of money, but I always did paper routes and delivering things and worked at a hot dog stand and did all kinds of odd jobs, fixing bicycles and stuff to make extra money. Our whole family worked. And uh, so, um, you know, and, and a lot of relatives were kind of felt like this was kind of a crazy thing to try to go into. But honestly, I didn't go to school, particularly with a plan. I just thought vaguely, well, I could do illustration. Uh, I liked that was the only thing I saw of artists that made a living was like Norman Rockwell and Howard you know Pyle and NCYF. Those were the artists that I admired. So I just kind of had this vague idea that I could do illustration eventually if I just worked hard. Um, so it wasn't until we met Richard Schmid um, and he moved back to Chicago for his daughter to go to school at the academy and he had gone to the academy 30 years before us and um, so that's when I first saw an artist who was making a living selling their work at Gallups and just painting what they wanted to paint. And so that's pretty much when I started thinking, OK, well, this is this is what I want to do. I want to actually just paint the things I want to paint, because I'd actually gone to New York. Nancy Guzik and I, who were, were classmates in school before we met Richard um, at the at the Academy. Uh, We had entered the student show for student competition for a Society of Illustrators and both won awards there in it and uh, and I went to New York to get the award from the Society of Illustrators um, student competition. And then I went around and talked to different um, uh, agencies, illustration and commercial agencies, and they all said that they would give me a job, but that the type of illustration that I wanted to do didn't exist anymore. Um, mm. It really was just going out, and they all of all the art directors said, "You know, we'll hire you, but um, this is the kind of stuff you'd be doing." And if I was you, I'd go into fine art. In fact, most of them said that's what they wanted to do was to do their. They still they they were all good artists, and they did their own paintings, uh, and they wished that they could just make a living selling their paintings. And so that kind of that had sent me back uh, to the academy. And then when Richard came back, I was like, oh, "Okay, right, it, it is an actual." Uh, possible path. So that's really when I started focusing and I started selling my work uh, that I would do in school at the Pallet chisel shows just like for 45, $50 and at this little frame shop. And so, um, uh, yeah, and I would I did all kinds of jobs while I was in school to pay for art supplies. I, there was a job board and anything that came up on the job board, I would call. The key line paste up, it was, I didn't take commercial, art. I didn't take illustration. I just took life drawing and oil painting at the academy. Um, but if I got the job, I'd call, and I think it was like almost the only person who called <laughs> any, only any of those jobs. And um, whatever it was, I would ask Mr. Parks, my teacher, because he did commercial art and illustration. How do you do, what does key line and paste up mean? What is four color? This was back before computers and everything. And so I learned, by the time I was out of school, I'd learned everything there was about that. I could have become a commercial artist. Um, so in portrait commissions, I did lots of portrait commissions too while I was in school to pay for art supplies. And... And that sort of thing so yeah hmm. so so you can came... so i kind of knew that i had that as a backup especially portraits by the time i got out of the academy i knew that i could i could make a living and i still did them for uh maybe three or four years when sue and i moved together to make uh the rent and stuff when i wasn't selling enough paintings
0: so you keep referring to the academy but i don't think you've ever given us the full name i apologize if you have what what academy is oh this? no i probably didn't uh,
1: it's the american academy of art is where okay. we went and um, it is not the same school now, even though it has that same name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was uh, founded by, I don't know if he's a founder, but he was one of the early founders or teachers was was Andrew Loomis and his book, Creative Illustration. And that stuff was used as the model for the fundamentals class and all kinds of artists, Sunbloom and Sunbloom, all these different sorts of people had had gone there. Elv, Gil Elvgren, who had done all of the pinup art uh, they actually had life drawings of him on the of his on the wall when he was a student. There. Wow. So there's all these great uh, illustration. Uh, it was just owned by a family who'd run it for a long time. And so but Mr. Uh, Richard Schmidt went there. Um, uh, had the same teacher as, as me, uh, Thomas did. And um, that's where we first met, and, you know, when he came back to school to give a talk. Uh, there were so many great artists that had gone to that school, uh, George Carlson, and, uh, and then in class with me was Tim Lawson and Dan Gearhart, Rose Franson, uh, Nancy Guzik. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really great artists, Romel De Torre. And so uh, it was a great school. And it was a great school because it was only an associate's degree. Most people just went there for commercial art, um, but they still had life drawing and they had oil painting in the same vein of, of the more traditional academic training. And so uh, most people only would take one year, but I took three years of those. And in high school, I took my junior, senior year, I took life drawing classes at the academy. I would take the bus and train. It would take me an hour to get down there. Um, and I took, did it on every Saturday, and then in the summer I did it every day, uh, hoping to try and win the scholarship, the one scholarship that they had available for graduating high school seniors. And so that school was great, but when, just when, pretty much when Sue finished, probably the last student to be there under that system. They were bought out by a um, uh, a, a corporation that does all kinds of schools um, and uh, they uh, made it into a four-year school. So it's still called the American Academy of Art, but if you'd gone there then, you had to pay more, you had to go four years, but you also only were doing art one or two days a week and you're doing math and English and all the other things. So you really weren't into it. But the worst part of it was, because they went that direction and to get their accreditation, the teachers had to have bachelor's degrees. So anybody who had gone to the academy had associate degree. So any any <laughs> teacher that taught there currently at the time I was there, no longer could teach there. They were told, well, if you go back to school for a couple of years, get your bachelor's degrees, you can teach there. And the system, was all the teachers were professional artists, mostly illustrators and stuff, commercial artists. Mr. Parks was, he would just come in three days a week. And then the other days we were on our own to, we had the model already set up. So that basically changed, completely changed the school, those two reasons. So it, it cut the tide, Andrew Loomis and all those things. So the new teachers that came in had not gone to the school. And so they hadn't learned that system and they, you know, so... That's why it, it, it was a great school, but it's not the same school. It's really a yeah. totally different school. Yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting that I've always found that so strange that an artist can be working in their field for decades and not get a job as a painting teacher at a university just because they don't have a right. degree. But, you know, I have a student, I'm, I would say his name, except I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this situation or not. And that's the only reason I'm not actually saying his name, but... He actually got a job for university teaching and they're giving him an honorary degree for having studied at my atelier, which is really hopeful um that universities are actually trying to get around that system a little bit to get qualified teachers in there. So but yeah, it's yeah, so it is strange. it is an interesting
1: <laughs> that is an interesting thing. The whole system of that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's strange they even have to give him an honorary degree just to make it all you know legal and right everything so tell me about yeah. your relationship with richard schmidt because i know you it was more than just studying with him there at the academy you also had a much more well, personal he didn't teach at the
1: academy so we didn't we didn't he never taught a class that we studied with him at oh he didn't uh, okay. so he had gone to the academy 30 years before us but um to answer your question is briefly um well he came back So his daughter Gretchen could go to the Academy. She was born in 67, the same as me, but she only attended a a couple months and then uh, and then he came back and did a demonstration. And that's where we, Nancy, that's where I met him and a lot of the artists met him. But we would go to the palette and chisel. Nancy Guzik had discovered that palette and chisel, which is an art club in Chicago, and neither Nancy and I had a place to paint at home. Um, uh, my family, you know, six, six people in one bathroom and, you know, uh, uh, three bedrooms. So, um, uh, so the pellet and chisel, we really found out you could pay $50 for three months and you get a key to the building. It's this huge tiny mansion, with all these studios and the upper floor was used to be a ballroom and that's the Northlit studio. Uh, and very few people were using it at the time, So we just started going there every day after school and we would paint models when they had model sections and we were starting new model sessions. And um, and so that's where Richard, uh, we met him at the academy when he did a demo and he invited us back to his house and things. And we met, It was it, that was amazing because I had never heard of him before. Um, and, uh, and then he started painting at the palette chisels three days a week, Tuesdays, evenings, Thursdays and Sundays. And then Nancy and I would go there every day um, after school and on the weekends. And um, so that's really, so he was painting in an open session. So he wasn't teaching a class, but we were learning from him just by seeing someone doing this high level art. And sometimes he would talk about technical things, but most of the time we would have discussions after class or different things, and it was more philosophical. We would talk about all kinds of ideas about art, philosophy, world events, all kinds of different things like that. And, um, you know, in the art world, how, how things worked, how you send paintings out, you know, all those sorts of things, galleries. And so that was really the main thing for my education was because hmm. we'd already he, he he'd have Bill Mosby at the academy and our teacher Bill Parks took over from Mosby uh, when he died. And so we were speaking the same artistic language about squinting and comparing and and all the different technical stuff that we'd kind of learned. So, um it was really kind of that next level of seeing where you took, you know, you'd be doing something and thinking, oh, I'm doing a good job. And then all of a sudden you would see somebody like Richard doing this in taking these tools to this incredible level. So it was really kind of, you know, mind opening just to just like anything. It's like if you want to be a great chess player, you got to play people who can beat you all, you know, so that you can get better. Mm-hmm. You can't get away with just these, you know, you, you start to
0: realize how far you have to go. At what point? did you know what you had in being in the presence of such a great artist as Richard Schmidt on a regular basis?
1: Oh, I mean, that whole experience was just, again, it's just being in the right place at the right time. I mean, it's just very fortunate because, you know, I, we probably would have gone in completely different directions. You have to meet somebody like that to, you know, send you into just a whole different way of thinking of things, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I, everybody has those things. I was Tom, talking to Thomas Blackshire. I, I just did a demonstration, a, a painting of him at this Woolerock retrospective that we had. It was to museum in Oklahoma. And uh, Thomas uh, and I have been friends for a long time. And so he posed for me, we were talking about, and he was talking about how when he, out of the academy, he went and worked at Hallmark uh, in Kansas City. And uh, Mark English just happened to be there. And so Thomas went to him and just said, is there some way I could study with you? And Mark English saw his work and said, you're a great artist, you know, because why don't you be my apprentice? And so after he would work at Hallmark, he would go over there and he would basically be starting Mark's paintings. Just like, uh, I don't know if you know, um, uh, Howard Turpin, he he had been the apprentice of um, of Haddon uh, Sunbloom. Uh, I'm sure you know, do you know who Sunbloom is? Haddon Sunbloom. No. Oh, you got to look him up. He's one of the greatest, greatest illustrators of all time. He was in Chicago, okay. and he was associated with the uh, American Academy and uh, the Chicago Academy of Arts. And he, you, you've you seen his work. His work is very painterly. He started the whole Coca-Cola uh, uh, Girls and Santa Claus. The whole image that we see Santa Claus was Haddon Sunbloom, H-A-D-D-O-N, I think, Sunbloom.
0: Okay. Um, H A D D O N. Some... Yeah. And then
1: S U N B L O M, I think. L O M. I could be spelling it wrong.
0: I'm a terrible, yeah. uh, I'm terrible at spelling. So, uh, Let's see. Did coming up there. Yeah, I'm going to pull up some of his images. I'm really curious. Oh, my God. Now. He's a great, great painter. Yeah, and, and,
1: and it's fun because Thomas, when we were always doing the demo of him, we were just, so yeah, up in the corner, you see the Santa Clauses and stuff. Yeah. Those were all, Yeah, those are all, holding the Coca-Cola bottle, the, that whole thing. But his, he's really painterly, absolutely oh, man. beautiful work. And uh, that's who Howard Turpin got hired when he was in art school, just out of art school, to be his apprentice. And he, Thunbloom was one of the biggest illustrators uh, of that time, kind of the just before Rockwell time period, and um, real painterly. Wow, really uh, painterly. You know, see the influence of Zorn and all these sorts of things, and um, uh, so yeah, so uh, yeah. Howard Trierping was hired, and Thomas was so excited to hear that too because he didn't he knows Howard, but he, they had never talked about this. But I have loved Thunbloom, and so has so has uh, Thomas Blackshire and all a lot of the artists, our friends. And so that was how they both learned. They, they were hired by this these these great illustrators and then their apprentices. Sunbloom had a whole bunch of apprentices in his in his studio. And so they were, Sunbloom would sketch out the idea, you know, as a pencil sketch, and then the apprentices were to then paint it. Um, and he would like give them as he'd go by, no, no, do this, do this, you know, as far as the composition. But then when they got finished with it, um, Sunbloom would then come in and maybe spend a half hour kind of just fixing it. Kind of like when you do a workshop, how it's so much Mm -hmm. easier to take a student's work. And then many times when I do that, when I used to do workshops, I would go and I'd go around and a couple of students who would you know, say, is it okay to work on it? Because they'd done as good as they could and they didn't know where to go. And so every now and then I would take a painting and I would just quickly redo it for them as a a demo um, on their work. And it's amazing how you could just work on it for like 15, 20 Mm minutes. The demo i did you know because they'd already put all the preparatory work but uh that's how like when i used to talk to howard turking about sunbloom he'd say yeah it was that was just you you do it as good as you could you know hoping he wouldn't do anything to it and then he'd come and he would do his changes and you just like it was like a revelation why didn't i think to do that you know uh, yeah uh simple things your edges and and it was the same with thomas but uh i think every artist now, Richard didn't work on my paintings or that, but you're just seeing, you're painting the same subject, sitting next to somebody, and so then you're seeing how they simplify things, how they do things. It's just, you know, it's, it's it, you I, I, in fact, even in school, before we met Richard, I would always take my drawing or painting and I would hold it, go over to the person in life during oil painting who was the best in the class, uh, much better than me, and I'd hold it next to it, because then I would see, it would like pop out at me what I was doing, oh, my edges are too, too, too hard. Um, I don't have dark enough shadows. um, So so meeting Richard, I think that was, it not only did it raise your level uh, that you were shooting for, even knowing that that level was out there that existed, it also just opened my mind to not just that there's another way to make a living as an artist, but a thought process of what does it mean to be an artist, you know, what are you trying to say, you know, is there more of a purpose than just selling your paintings or doing an illustration for a for a, for an ad or whatever? What do you want to say? And it wasn't he was telling us what to say in these discussions, we would all have, you know, Rose and Nancy and all the different people in our group we all would have different answers to that. And it was interesting. And It was almost like forcing you to self-examine yourself. You know, what is it that I want to paint? What I want to say? What makes me unique compared to this person or that person? And so I think you almost have to have that example sometime of somebody who's doing that to start to then examine yourself and think, okay, well, I don't want to just copy Sunbloom or this artist or that artist, you know? These people are great because they are, there's something about them themselves. Now, I can see in Richard's work, you really look at it when I look through his older work in his house and stuff. Um, and You can see he went through the phases of copying Fashion, of copying, you know, Monet, of copying um, uh, uh, all of these different artists that he especially uh, loved, and then pulling bits of them and then putting them into subject matters that were his own. And so you can see the influences of him, but he really turned it into his own thing. And so that was a great example for me.
0: Yeah. You know, when I hear stories like this, it's just, there's something sort of romantic about it. Like I imagine it like I'm watching a movie because this is so far removed from my experience where I went to a regular state university. I felt like I was kind of on my own and finding my own path. Whereas, I mean, everyone's on their own. So what I'm getting at isn't that you didn't find your own path, but more that there was this magic time happening from my perspective where you and Rose Franson and Nancy Gusick, these are these are three great painters. And I'm sure yeah. there are others, Tim too. Lawson, Tim Lawson, Dan Gearhart, and yeah. Susan You're King. all there. You're all there at that one time. And it, it just seems like a magical time, almost like a movie. And, and there was another, there's another group like that. Max Ginsburg had the Stephen Asale and Ricky Mujica and a couple others. And yeah. where they were all, t- they were all painting after high school or, be- or early morning hours before high school started with Max. It's just like these types of little groups are just so cool. And I mean, right. you must, you must think about that often. On how fortunate it is to be part of something like that, that because they don't happen very well, often. I don't think. I agree. It,
1: it happens too. It happens. It happened for us in art school. For other people, it happens after art school. People find groups where Sue's always encouraging people that she mentors to find other artists. Yeah. To paint, not necessarily just the teacher uh, people, because you all push each other and you learn, you're at a certain point. So, like, uh, And even from our group, we got tired of being so uh, influenced by each other after several years at the Palette and Chisel after art school, and we all moved out to different places. Tim Lawson went away. Dan, Well, Dan had been an illustrator, and he was in Wisconsin. Rose went back to Iowa. We went to North Carolina. Richard and Nancy went to Colorado. So you seek new groups that you get into with. But I especially see it with a lot of landscape painters that I know um, that went to college, didn't learn much, about art at all, like Matt Smith, uh, Scott Christensen, uh, Ralph Olberg, uh, Skip. There's all these great landscape painters that are just incredible painters. And they, a lot of them went to um, just total junk colleges that didn't, were just teaching modern art. There, some of their stories are hilarious, you know, what mm-hmm. they would go and, and trying to do a painting. And so it was only when they started getting out on their own that they learned met their group and so they all of those guys all met and many more of these landscape artists they all met by taking workshops like two or three a year from clyde aspovic and from skip wickham and from michael lynch and these different people and Schmiel and so they all met that was their school that was their group and then they started painting at the here painters of america and you see though early and they kind enough to invite me i did that for nine years on catalina island and stuff and i hadn't done many landscapes and so we all were painting together and plein air, that was the first show, was the Catalina show that Kevin McPherson really kind of grew into this thing that spread. Um, but it was so interesting to see all of these people when they were young and just learning landscapes. It's it's amazing. Uh, Ralph Holberg was just in this Bull uh, Rock show and it's amazing to see his work now and thinking when we were all starting out and looking at some of our earlier things, we we're, we're just laugh at ourselves. Matt Smith, all those people, we all, We're kind of coming up together. And um, but we all learn from each other and pushed each other in the same way that we did at the Pallet and Chisel. And um, so it it is it is interesting, but it's not that you if you miss that one moment, there's not going to be another one. And probably, you know, there's all these great artists that that I see in Utah and stuff. So you're probably part of artists for those, but also artists that are in different different organizations that you you're probably in these groups, and if you look back in 20 years, people will be like, God, that group that you were with, with Porch Society of America, or these people that you painted with here or there, uh, you'll probably realize, right, I wasn't that's even— That's <laughs> true.
0: You don't really think of it that way. That's a good point. That's a good point yeah. that really puts in perspective. You know, another thing that I find interesting about your group, though, is there are so many disciples, so to speak, of Richard Schmidt that, that are much younger than you that paint just like him. And, and, but your group didn't, your group kind of found their own way. Um, Probably just because
1: we're older when we were first painting together there, um, people would just, they I can, not what they would call us the schmidlings or something, oh. because we were all so influenced by each other. Our works looked, we were having a lot of things that were like Richard's things and the subject, we weren't really even getting to choose our own subjects. The models were just set up. And so, you know, we were just painting things. So we very much, so everybody started to go off it's like when I look at some of Richard's earlier paintings, his ones he was out of the academy, there was this academy style at that time. And his paintings don't even you wouldn't even recognize them, really. They're great paintings, but they look completely this academy style of brushwork and stuff, uh, kind huh. of uh, illustrative. And then he went through a Mancini um, phase. Mancini, he had told me that was probably his largest influence in his later work. Uh, and, um, and, and, but then he so, he was doing things that looked very much like Mancini and and then he went on to his own thing. Now, there are younger artists, so when we were younger artists, I think our work probably looked a lot more similar to each other. We could tell the difference between them, but I think Rose, Nancy, and me, and a lot of the, a lot of us that all painted together there, I think our work looked very similar. And I remember Dan Gearhart saying to me once, um, he was saying we we're out painting, he was like, it's frustrating to me. Everything I look at, all I can think of is how Richard would paint it, and I can't think of a better way to paint it. You know, <laughs> and it was frustrating to him because he's like, "I want to paint my own things, but it's so in your head, and it's such high level that you 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 can't think of it." And so, but now you look at Dan's work, and there's no doubt. I never have to look at the signature to see that it's a Dan Gearhart or a Tim Lawson or any of these. People and it's at high all...
0: level. Somehow he figured it out.
1: Well, you know, you just start to. Trust yourself, you start to realize, you know, the things that you're interested in. And if you're being honest about it, um, you, you just drift that way. Now, the problem is sometimes it's easier to paint the way someone else has already painted it. And so it's easy to look at any master from current times or past times and say, I'm gonna paint this just like this person. Uh, and set your, you know, everything is, the subject's the same and you're painting it the same, and that can right away be appealing because obviously, as we all know, it's easier to copy a sergeant painting than it is to actually set a model up and make all those decisions and simplify and and, and do it in an original way. And so that can be a shortcut that sometimes, sadly, some people never get out of. Um, so it is something you have to push yourself to uh, to do because sometimes it can be easy to start just painting a formula and uh, that can that can do very well economically so i think all of us uh not only did we all want to do that we all wanted to be artists um but we wanted to find our own voice and find our own things that we were excited about painting you know i'm not sure what how that is but i think uh, i've seen lots of young artists like that i remember when jeremy lipkin first was starting out and i saw him at one of his first shows in scottsdale and there were other artists who had been saying to me that at other shows, I was like, Oh, this this Jeremy Lipton guy, he paints, he's just copying Richard Schmidt, he's just copying Zorn paintings. You can see which painting he's copying when he's doing this. And I remember at the time saying, Well, yeah, I can see that, but he's really good. And I bet you he will get his own style eventually. And and sure enough, he did, and now people are copying his style. And uh, I think it just happens naturally, but you can get stuck in that. Don't get me wrong. There are people who do, but these young artists that you're probably talking about, I bet you that many of them will slowly evolve into their own.
0: You know, as you were talking about finding yourself and kind of figuring out what you like, it reminded me of a feeling I was having just a day or two ago. I had a couple students watching me paint which is typical, that's kind of how my atelier works. But we're just chatting as I'm painting. And this student just started painting. She just finished, or one of them did. She she just finished a drawing program and now she's moving into painting. So she's just hungry for knowledge. So as she's watching, I mean, you can just tell she's watching every stroke, like she's gonna learn some kind of magic trick or something, you know? And uh, I think I broke her heart when I expressed how frustrated I was that I still don't know how to paint after 20 years and that I'm like, I don't know which brush to use to make this edge that I want. And I can't, I, I I was just getting so frustrated that I didn't know how to create the texture I was looking for, or even what texture I wanted yet, even though I've done so many paintings. And when you talked about trying to figure out what it is that you like, it made me think of that because even after 20 years, I'm still searching for that. Do you ever find that in your own work? Oh, my God, that's like every single painting. And Isn't I that frustrating <laughs> in a way? I, I,
1: I went to the same thing with Mr. Parks, where I was in school and I would go to the third year students in the oil paint class. And I just every day I was like, oh, my God, that's the most amazing thing ever. And they were just like, thanks, Scott, because I said it every single time you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and then they would be like, I'm so frustrated with this or that or I just want to quit. Um, or sometimes they'd wash off something that I thought was amazing. And I asked Mr. Parks, what's wrong with these people? I mean, they must know they're good. And he, I said, I'd be so happy if I was doing what they were doing. And, and he said, no. He goes, and he knew how frustrated I got all. And he said, you're going to feel the same way you feel now, you know, your whole life. And I was like, I didn't really believe him until later. And so I was a third-year student, and people were like ooing and awing. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, and that's one of the things I like about Sue started this Patreon thing, and I I love putting demos on—not demos, just paintings I do in my studio. And I love showing all the mistakes. It's Mm -hmm. so funny, you know. There's a painting. Sue put this painting up behind me. Yeah, Um, that's one I just put up on Patreon this um, uh, yesterday or today. I think it just went up, and I filmed that one in progress. And uh, it was from a photo I took in San Antonio, and it was really funny because. I struggled so much with that. I blocked the whole thing in really fast and it went. I thought this is going to go so quick. And then I got to the face and I was like, ah, oh, it could be better. And so I, I repainted it, I think, five complete times. And of course, we compress it. The video is only 45 minutes, but you see how I'll repaint the whole thing. It seems done. And then I was like, no, no, maybe it'd be better this way. And I painted it a different way, thicker with brighter colors. No, I do it again, do it again, do it again. By the end, I don't think it was that much different than the first one, (laughs) but it was like I just kept trying. But I think it was better, but, yeah, it's just always a struggle, and uh, there's lots of paintings that don't make it, and, yeah, it's just second-guessing yourself, Uh, yeah, it's, and, you know, yeah, I, I know what you mean, and I wish I could tell people that it wouldn't be like that, but... I think that if you get to the point where it is that way, you probably got to start worrying that you're in a
0: formula, you know, yeah. that you're just painting the same
1: painting over and over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah but sometimes I crave that formula and <laughs> sometimes I wish I had one. In fact, I said to her, cause she was discouraged. Cause I said that she's like, what, if that's how you feel, how am I ever going to learn this? And I'm like, don't stress right. about it. Like I, and I said the same thing that your teacher said to you, it's like, you're always going to feel this way. It's just, just the way it is. It's kind of a curse in a way. Um, the only good thing is,
1: is you can look back at your old paintings and you can still see that you're improving a lot.
0: Yeah. So there's that. That's
1: what gives me hope, you know, is that, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm at least still a struggle, but it's in a higher struggle right now,
0: you know? So how have your paintings evolved? I mean, obviously, I know I've seen you paint and I see your work, which we're going to pull up in a minute here, but, You certainly don't have a formula because you have a wide range of aesthetic choices among your works and, and I've seen your work evolve since I've met you maybe 10 years ago or something. Tell me about that evolution a little bit. I mean, even from art school, tell me about that evolution and, and any influence you've had throughout that time that have pushed you this way or that. Yeah. You know, it's
1: interesting because i think in the beginning i kind of my evolution was more about um subject matter because you know i really hadn't been out of chicago much or anything and so when soon i both really wanted to travel so when we finally started to be able to travel very cheaply you know staying in pensions or uh you know taking trains and stuff and 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 then being able to go to like third world countries and other cultures that was what excited us so much so i mean we were uh just pushing the bounds because of getting these really interesting new things to see than just a model, you know? Yeah.
0: I'm going um, to pull up some of your, I going to pull up some of your paintings actually from those places, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Cause I was looking through your website, like this one here in Africa, I'm assuming yeah, you know, that's, this one looks that's like in from Humba, India in
1: and, uh, yeah, that's, that's from India yeah and and yes and there's a uh, one from the navajo
0: reservation above that with the lady with the cat and uh so your style is influenced uh, by your desire to travel is what you're telling me
1: yeah yeah the style was especially then it had a lot i don't know if i painted as as experimentally each painting had its own new challenges that i hadn't faced you know with uh painting a model in the studio, which we did for, you know, just working from life for so long. So we had those challenges. Uh, so when you go out there and you start seeing things and you start having color schemes or more complicated, um, you know, compositions, it forces you to learn and try different things that way. Um, and then, like you're saying, about from 10 years ago, I definitely started to, I've, I've definitely started to experiment more with even just the way I'm painting and getting into more abstract sorts of things and stuff. And even like the painting behind me of the girl and the horse, that was a uh, very, uh, it was just a, 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 you know, it's a more traditional thing. I had never been to a festival like that. Um, it was really cool. And then we went backwards, people were staging their horses as families of women who were doing the riding. And so, but then I'm still trying to play with the abstract and, and do it in different ways. Uh, that one is not a, a thick painting, um, so there's both those things that I'm experimenting with. But um, I think in a lot of ways, painting for me and I think for Sue, a lot of it is just an excuse to get to actually go and explore the world and meet people, you know, in person. Um, we'll go to India for a month, and you'll just you know paint people. Or even this, Sue was doing a workshop in San Antonio. And so uh, one of the days we went to this um, fiesta in this tiny little ring uh, kind of thing south of San Antonio. It was really neat and historic looking, and uh, these women were riding uh, side saddle. They're all she's riding side saddle. All of them were. I mean, galloping and doing all of these things in the arena. And so I went uh, back where they had just the horses were being staged and people were getting together. And met the families and talked to them took photographs of them. And so I did this painting what, two weeks ago, maybe, uh, two or three weeks ago. And oh, wow. um, filmed, filmed I filmed that one for that Patreon uh, demo we just put up. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was just a fun one to do, you know. And uh, so yeah, I'm playing with the textures with the kind of those rubber silicone tools, putting it on with that or, or the palette knife, and then with a little bit of brushwork too. But most of it was just done with the silicone rubber thing and some palette knife and then i, I man I it's did a lot thinner than i thought in
0: it. the background i mean there's some thick paint yeah, it's but very a lot thin. of it's scraped right down to canvas
1: yeah i'll put it down thick and then i'll scrape it down or even use some mineral spirits and just trying to uh get interesting abstract patterns and designs you know i want it to look interesting close um whereas in the past i i, I would do that sort of abstract stuff with the thick paint and it just you're just always experimenting
0: you but know what's really interesting about, was
1: just
0: oh i was just sorry one, one of the things that's interesting about this is how differently you handled the hand mm-hmm. and the face both flash but yeah. you really i don't know what it, it looks like you're scraping down is this like a small rubber tool or something that's just the palette knife that's the palette
1: palette knife scraping it so like i said i painted this over and over and it would dry you know after a, a day or two and so then i would be putting things back on with palette knife or the rubber tool or brushes and then i'd scrape it down with the palette knife so some of the under stuff would show through and i tend to most of my paintings i tend to the center of interest i will do more detailed and subtle and then other areas i like to be more abstract and simple yeah and kind of i always have loved the way real abstract areas will make the more real areas look more real and the more in re- the real areas the, the more finished areas will make the abstract look even more exciting so i love that balance of of um, technique
0: and soft or hard or finished and unfinished so yeah you know what's interesting about it though in a way your face has an added level of abstraction that the background doesn't because Mm -hmm. you are so aggressively softening all of her features which isn't the way it really is right um and it makes for when you step back it makes it look very real but in a way it's almost more abstract than the hand because the hand has you know some pretty hard edges Right. I wouldn't say more abstract, but, it, but abstract in a different and way. And I went,
1: I went through phases where I painted that face more hard edge and more thick, uh, kind of with harder edges and patterns, and then just felt like it didn't go with the mood of her. I like the fact that she's looking towards you a little more,
0: yeah. you
1: know, kind of confronting you. Uh, but then I also like the softness, uh, you know, to, to kind of, you know, so it's gorgeous. It, it's hard to even explain yeah, You just go back and forth and some work and some don't. So even now it's like, I don't know if I made the right choices on these. And it's, uh, you know, you just, you just get to a point where you're like, okay, you got to stop. You got to go on to another one. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times the way I feel is I still don't love it, but I frankly have reached my capacity. I can't, I don't know how to improve it. So I guess it's good. Right. And I do so many (laughs) paintings that were better earlier,
1: you know, and, uh, and I'm like, why didn't I stop then? And then I'll spend a day repainting it to get back to that earlier version, Mm -hmm. which sometimes you get back to, and sometimes you don't. So that's, that's a
0: difficult thing too. Yeah. Okay. So let me, I'm going to pull up the files you sent me and maybe that will help the audience a little bit as we talk about your evolution. These aren't in any particular order though, are they? So no
1: you can take whatever you want so maybe
0: so maybe i'll go with what i'm going to pull up something that reminds me of a little more of your older work although this is all newer work isn't it i don't know if i have any older work
1: in this okay let
0: me let me pull up um something from let's say your website uh Here we go. So your website, we haven't updated in a couple years. Yeah, yeah, I know. And this is the work that you were doing when I met you, the kind of work you were doing. So just to give the audience an idea of what you were doing. And then this is uh, I still do
1: things like that,
0: uh, just slightly different. So, yeah. But now you're doing stuff like this.
1: Yeah, that's a close up of um, of one. That's kind of an interesting one, because I've been experimenting a lot with different sorts of things. And I've, I've been using rollers and doing, and cutting lino cuts and stuff. And then I'll have a scrap piece of paper, which I rub the paint off of the roller or, or a palette knife or whatever. And sometimes those scrap pieces of the paper are so interesting. The abstracts are so interesting. So like the design you can see kind of to the right, and this is a, a real wide picture. There's probably the earlier photograph has the whole let me go back. The whole back. view of it. Yeah. Um, but the, uh,
0: so. Oh, well, that's another detail, in, isn't it? One
1: section, it. let me see. Yeah, here, here we go, uh, right here. Oh, on the top, yeah. Yeah. So that, that is the, so that you can kind of see where the paper was glued to the board on the two sides. So this abstract thing in the whole center part was like so interesting. I was like, wow, that's so cool. So I just, I just um, adhered that to a wood board
0: Wait, wait. Um, just wait, just to make like sure I understand, one. you glued paper to a board and then tore it off. Is that what this white stuff is?
1: No, that was. It was interesting. That was just because the 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 white stuff was tore of the paper because I had as I was rub rolling it, rolling, cleaning, basically cleaning off the the brayer. Um, it kind of got folded at one point, and I pulled it back apart uh, just to have it flat again. And I was like, oh, that looks kind so oh, yeah, right of neat. Oh yeah, mirrors right here. I see it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah oh my exactly. gosh, yeah, right so
0: here and right here. It made such
1: an interesting pattern that I thought, oh, I want to do a painting, make a painting out of this. So I I glued the paper. This was on like an acid-free paper, uh, kind of a heavy-duty, almost watercolorish paper. So I, I glued it to a board, just a, a birch panel. And then I, um, I sealed it. And then I put the, a little bit more green on it so that the sides would be covered. And then I painted um, our model rose. I think there's a picture in here too where you can see the actual photograph I put rose into this. I've just kind of, some of them I'll do, yeah, there you go. Some of them I kind of do where I kind of try to visualize something in the abstract and then I'll make it into, into something. Sometimes I use a photograph. You can see the photograph below of rose. And then I love the way Muka would, you know, make things basically just that one value in the face. Yeah. Kind of like Van Gogh would do and stuff, that kind of local tone color and then with the outline. So it just kind of had a feel of Art Nouveau-ish to me. And so...
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously. Stop buying the other brands. It's just not worth it. Every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand, but use the brand that professionals like myself are using. Go to rosemaryandco.com, link in the description or the show notes, and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting. Um,
1: Yeah, so that's kind of fun. So I, I have like so many experiments like this going in my studio right now where I'm starting out with abstract just sometimes just junk pieces of paper that I'm cleaning off, but I still use paper that I'm knowing I might do something with. And then others, I just start out with abstract and then I paint, we have a model from life and I paint on that. So, so if you go back to the images, I have one that we just did. Well, I want to comment on this one though,
0: real quick. Let's look at, remember that thought. But one question I have for you is, so I've, I've experimented with abstraction. And I find it really interesting, uh especially combining the figure with abstraction, which is which is what you're doing a lot of the time. but when you get a model that looks like this, I mean she looks like right out of a waterhouse painting or something I mean she's just got this does, incredible yeah. gorgeous profile. Yeah. How do you not just want to paint her?
1: Oh she's wonderful we when we've got there's people everywhere though I mean we just I mean, she she is a really good artist, Rose Devaney, and she uh, is in the studio that Susan in Winston-Salem. And we've known her since she was like 15 or so, 16. And we hadn't painted her uh, until recently. And, and um, but yeah, she's just fantastic. And, uh, but I mean, there's so many fantastic people everywhere. I mean, yeah, I mean it's I've true. Got thousands and thousands. We'll paint someone from life, which is what we did with Rose, and then I'll do a photo session with them, uh, oftentimes. Um, And so this was just some photos I took. She just came over and she had posed for something for life at Sue's studio. And then she came over to my studio and I took some photos. This was in Susan's studio. uh, And we just dressed her up. And these are just leaves I just took out off of trees. And then also took some photos of her outside in the woods. And I've done a few paintings of her. In fact, she's the one you probably don't recognize it since I kind of destroyed her face in the painting. But the one that was at Portrait Society this year was a rose also.
0: Uh, that straight-on one. Oh kind of, no, uh, kidding! It was. Universal. Well, you know, and the other thing is profiles, and straight-on can look like different people. I've noticed that with. My she models. has an incredible profile. I love she her profile. is it's gorgeous. Profile. Well, I she don't think a lot of I don't think I asked the question very clearly. I guess someone with your skill as a realist, who can—I've seen you paint, and you can—you just pull out likenesses in five minutes, and it's mm-hmm. just incredible how efficient you paint. And how well you paint, but how do you get yourself when you know you can capture her natural beauty? How do you get yourself to pull away from that completely and be so well, non-objective?
1: For, for me, it is I've done a few paintings of her that are very realistic. Um, and they're really just like you said, the photograph is practically already a beautiful it's painting. It's already art. So you yeah. just Making it a little bit better, you're adding things to it. Uh, for me, having done a lot of those paintings over the years, I like the one of Rose uh, that I had at porch Society. Um, Sue was so upset because I started that painting out as more traditionally. I painted her more traditional, like you said, like she really looks. Mm-hmm. And then I just felt like God, I've done this painting a million times already, you know, you know, and so I then I just would scrape it and go over it. And I made her face uh, into something completely different. It was like just the starting point. And Sue was pretty upset. She was like, oh my God, you <laughs> ruined this painting because she likes more of the traditional ones. Yeah, that yeah. Do. Uh, in fact, when I entered that, uh, she had said you're not going to enter that in the porch society all right i said i said no i wasn't thinking it's was probably a little too experimental for the porch society and she goes okay good so we picked are you out serious? three others, and then you were a and, finalist yeah. so i picked out three others and then you know you enter three and you know you don't always get in anyway so but then at the last minute i thought you know i really that is the one i like the most even though i know it's weird um and so i switched that one with the photos so when we got when they wrote the email i said oh sue i got email i got something in the purchase <laughs> site goes, hey, which one of the three and i said well actually it's the one of rose and she goes but you didn't enter that one i said oh, i actually switched it and she goes really she goes they chose that one she goes, oh. Oh, my. <laughs> but I mean, like, you oh, gotta have I'm a thick skin when you're so married so to another hard. artist So well, i got some award for it and stuff too at the show and and someone bought it you know um uh, and so you never know, you know, and then you other don't. paintings that I actually love won't sell or won't be popular, won't get into a show. So you, you, I really just kind of, so I do love this and I know what you mean, because I could just paint this straight, more like a waterhouse sort of thing. And I do like doing those kinds of paintings too, but then sometimes I just am like this, I was looking the abstract and I was just like, it just felt more like a Mooka sort of thing. And so putting Rose in there was kind of an afterthought. I, sometimes I just make the face up when I do those ones yeah. out of abstracts,
0: abstracts suggest something. So, um, but yeah, I, well, I guess it's important. You yeah. Know, it's don't like, misunderstand me. I think you did a good thing. It's just, as a, as <laughs> a realist, I, I, there's a certain level of admiration for someone who can move past that on some level. But what it sounds like you're saying is it's, basically boredom you've painted so many faces you're ready to kind of see what else well and i'm just do.
1: excited to experiment you know yeah. and it's like it's like if you've if you've hiked a bunch of trails you know in the sierras or wherever you know and you there's some favorite places that we'll go back to adaisa lake you know i've gone there several times with matt smith and ralph and other friends of ours and we we, we pack trip up there and it's one of my favorite places but then something you're just like God, let's go somewhere we haven't been and we don't even know what's there, you know? And sometimes it turns out to be terrible and sometimes it's great. Um, and that's the way lately I have been feeling with a lot of my paintings. Now, some I just can see and they they're have to be painted more traditionally. Um, and then others, I'm just, I'm so excited to just experiment. And I do ruin a lot of paintings. And uh, Sue, it's hard for Sue because I do experiments and I get down when they don't come out. And so she's sometimes like, I don't even wanna come in your studio because I'm afraid what you've done to this painting or that painting, you know? And sometimes there's ones that she really likes, she just will take them. She's like, okay, you're done with this. I'm not gonna let you. And so I'm like, all right, you really feel, you you know, and, and you can't see them. But lately I have been just wanting to experiment and do things differently than I have. And if I start doing a painting and I feel like I can name the painting I did in the past that this is like, I just don't want to do it, then. you know, it's lose my excitement. It's like I've already done it. It's like trying like being told to write, write a new version of a story you've already written, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, even though you know, it's popular and people want you to do a formula from that. So I don't know. I don't know why that is. But yeah,
0: I, you know, it, yeah, this from this really conversation exciting. reminds me when I was in school and. Uh, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to combine two, two stories about the same the same uh, classmate. But one time we were in class and he was having a conversation and he was looking like across the room. They were having a conversation across the room, the artist, because we were in this big circle around the model. And uh, as he's looking across the room with his other artist talking, he's he's looking this way and he's painting like that way and like and he's not even looking at the canvas and i don't mean that in a way like blind contour you know and then there's obviously cases in drawing where you're not supposed to look at the canvas; you're supposed to look at the model but no this was just literally he's doing an entire painting while not looking at it and uh i remember at one point i'm in the hallway with him and we're looking at art and he had completely gone abstract and he said to me and keep in mind we're still in art school we're in our early 20s and uh he says i've he says i've pretty much mastered realism i'm kind of over it and i'm ready for i'm ready for abstraction <laughs> I, almost, I almost died i was like come on man i mean you're you're maybe 20 years old 21 years old no one's mastered realism at that stage but for you the reason i'm telling you the story is because you have like you truly hiked I don't, I don't know i don't think about it as mastering realism or abstraction Well, what i mean by mastering really? is you've you've really hiked those trails like you've genuinely hiked those trails more than more than this classmate right you've Mm -hmm. spent you've spent 30 years at least right almost 30 years something like that painting yeah, yeah. yeah so i can understand why it's like man i just i it's time i need to like branch out
1: well, and it's not like I want to give up realism. message. I just want to push myself farther. I've right. always liked abstract, but it usually would be mostly in the backgrounds, you know how you treat backgrounds uh abstract like in a lot of your like portrait commissions, it's like if you were to frank crop out part of them where you have the like the couple there uh, that were recent when you did uh, the left hand corner, it's just a beautiful abstract on its own where you use your brush strokes and and so you're getting texture, you're getting all of that in there. Um, so I'd always wanted to, but then trying to incorporate it more into a mixture of abstract and realism, it's just like the balance goes a little differently um but and and it's funny too, because it's like a language, it's like if you said, well, I've mastered the English language, so now I'm just gonna write in Spanish, I'm gonna learn another language or I'm gonna write in my own made up language, you know that nobody else can read i mean the language is for telling a particular story and trying to convey what's in your mind and, and and heart and emotions to somebody else through that medium. So abstract, I think, does convey an emotion. But when you complete, and this is my view totally, and I understand a lot of people disagree with this, but if you completely divorce it from... Uh, the actual subject matter as well, I feel like then it doesn't have that emotional content. It's just kind of, uh, you know, it's just the technique. Um, it, it's just like writing. You have to be able to understand the words to get the content. The Words could be just beautiful, abstract words that you, somebody just says, you know, it's kind of like scatting with uh, jazz or something like that. You know, that, oh, that can sound really interesting and fun. And I love the beat and all that. And that can be wonderful. But then when you combine it with some emotional content, so that's what I'm trying to do with, I wanted to work on the abstract level and I wanted to work on the emotional uh, content level as well. And um, mm, Those are great analogies, both the oh, jazz
0: nice. and the language analogy. I really like those. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think you're right. I'm with you hundred percent. There's certain things you can say with classical realism and there's certain and there's certain things you can't. And there's certain things you can say with abstraction, and there's certain things that you can't. And so right. to be able to freely move from one to the other and combine them in different proportions, that's liberating. It's got to be.
1: Yeah, well, it's just, it keeps it exciting because you you reach a certain point where you want to push a little further, a little further, yeah. just the way it's been since art school. I've always felt that dissatisfaction with, you know, wanting to say something that I hadn't
0: been able to say before. So when you say push further and further, you mean challenge yourself to communicate more, not necessarily push further and further away from one particular style, but you're saying push push yourself to to communicate more.
1: Whatever you're trying to say. So like for me, some of, you know, sometimes I, I will really look at my paintings afterwards and I'll really try to think about specifically, what do I think could be better? in the next painting, or if something is just that painting, what technically could be better. But oftentimes for me, it used to be, okay, I'm just being too lazy. I'm just setting the model up, sitting them down mm-hmm. and painting. Them. Mm-hmm. And that can be really cool as well. Um, but I was also like, I've got to actually push farther and um, try to challenge myself to do things with more figures in them or to, you know, uh, Try different lighting or different compositions or something with different emotions. And sometimes that means traveling to a place or finding a subject that is my ultimate. You know, why am I just painting this subject? Because I know it's what people will buy. What do I want to paint? You know, and then soon I think about what are the places we're excited about? Oh, let's go there. It's kind of unknown. So they can be pushing you that way. And then it can also be pushing you to say, well, I've gotten to a rut. I'm just painting the same painting over and over, you know what excites me in other people's paintings or in, you know, uh, Mancini or Fashion or or Sargent or whatever? What is it exciting about their work that, that I can try to, you know, extend my, my, my language with, you know, learning new words. If you were a writer, you know, say, okay, let's start to look at other ways that people, you know, I, maybe I've been telling everything in third person, and I've got to start saying things in first person and really getting closer to you know the emotional reaction of a character and i feel that same way with with painting you know uh trying to get the emotion is is uh you know or the mood or so i don't know i'm scattered all over the place but that's kind of how i'm often thinking
0: about it mm-hmm. i feel like both abstraction and realism have their pitfalls with at least this has been my experience with realism The thing that i i know that i have to avoid and be careful of with every painting you alluded to it is not just set up a model and paint it right not just show not just show off look how well i can paint this face to look like this person Mm -hmm. and then it's got no nothing to say it's it's yeah it's well crafted hopefully but that's it right and then the other the other side of it with abstraction the thing that I feel like you uh, one has to be careful of is not to just let it be only design and, mm-hmm. and to think about what you're saying with it, aside from just, I'm good at arranging colors, right? And so that's one of the reasons I'm attracted to work like yours too, is because when you combine them both, it kind of makes it easier to avoid those two pitfalls.
1: Yeah. I mean, I find it easier. I love doing when I clean my palette off. Like I have one there in those pictures that we did just a couple of days ago of a of a uh, of a black girl, uh, to, the third one from the right, one over to, to your right. Yeah, that one there. So that one, Sue and I. So that's board a board. It's just a watercolor board. Uh, it's cropped a little bit on the bottom and top, but it's a. Uh, when I'm doing acrylics or oils, I'll, oftentimes when I'm, I hate wasting paint, so when I'll just splash the paint onto a board. And so this was just acrylics on a watercolor board, and I've got a bunch of them in the studio, and we hired Danica uh, to pose for us, is it three days ago now maybe, something like that, maybe three days ago. And so she posed for three hours in Sue's studio for us, and we just painted her, and I just painted over that board. That's and so, it. I picked a board that I thought would go with her pose, and so the abstract on the background is just—they're just fun. They're so fun to do. Um, and well, it, it doesn't really... look like that at all. Yeah, yeah It doesn't look yeah, like you just paint on top of a and paint an abstract. I painted her oil on top of the acrylic, so it's just like painting over gesso. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Did and you just, go so back we... into
0: the acrylic the acrylic background at all? or is it literally just a face floating oh, in the middle?
1: The the very the very background, I used that rubber tool and I scraped a little bit of paint over it to slightly unify some of the extreme, Okay, yeah,
0: yeah, um, I thought you must have. Because it's but very it, the unified. The background is mostly, it's mostly
1: just that's the way it was. It's just very thin little bit. I kind of scraped it so that it would just put a little bit of a tone over it. Yeah. But yeah, so... Um, but it's mostly it's mostly just just. Uh, well, how did you create the way... these
0: edges, though? Because this
1: looks like yeah, that was a brush where I put the line there around it, and it kind of suggested her her um her uh, shawl her, or uh, turban or whatever. Inside, yeah, the area, the side of that that area that is the, the background exactly, and then it kind of went up into blue, and I put a little bit of oil over this over the like above that line to just slightly push it the green that
0: happens above it so that it have that little bit of a shape. Yeah, but how did you cut through dried acrylic? That's what I'm confused about. Oh no 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 that
1: that those cut through things are that's me scraping with my palette knife over the slight wash above above her turban area oh that, you're that scraping starts.
0: through the blue but you're bringing so, it down so yeah when you scrape with the
1: palette knife you can see as it goes down it's not scraping through anything because that's the acrylic right but you're and pulling some the of the blue
0: paint, paint into where,
1: where i had a little bit of a wash of blue that i put over the top of that and so then that just it's not like a scratch board it's showing through if you put the dark
0: on there and scratch into yeah. it
1: and show through,
0: but then you also got like this drippy paint here, and you just throw in solvent at it, or that's something. All just acrylic. That's just the original acrylic. Oh, yeah. that's the acrylic, yeah, man, that's, that's the, cool. The whole board
1: was just covered with this abstract pattern, and so that's what I'm trying to say too. Is like I, I've got a whole bunch of these, uh, some I do in oil, and some I do in acrylics. I just take paint off my palette and I'll just put it on these things. Some are giant canvases that I have this abstract things, and then. I'll choose one that I think would be neat for whatever I'm gonna paint from life or from a photo. This was from life whoops and um it's fun to use those things then as you go and uh yeah, it's uh but it's easy to do the abstract fun abstracts by themselves, and it's it's relatively easier to do a very um, photorealistic drawing. It's just a technical exercise, but then trying to combine them together, that's where I find the challenge to yeah. get them to both work together and be interesting.
0: I can't believe how unified it is. I, that, I know that would be hard to float a face in the middle of a canvas full of acrylic splatter and make it unified. He totally, I put that, totally pulled that off. I put off. on
1: Instagram, I, put, I, put a, I, I posted this this morning, I put a couple pictures from, Sue had taken a couple photos when I was starting the painting. So you can see the face. Yeah, there you go. So that's Danica. And that's, it came out a little too dark, but you can see a little bit of, of wow. me starting it out. It even looks cool at this yeah. stage. Yeah, it is. It's interesting how different it will look. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of and sort of close-ups of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's but, yeah. That's so awesome. I've been having
1: fun doing it. In fact, after I'm with this, I I gotta I'm running out of some canvases, so I'm gonna hone a bunch of boards and canvases uh, with some acrylics just so that I have some things to work over the top of.
0: So. But then i noticed in yes. the pictures you sent me that you are going full-on abstract in some cases or is this a detail that's or a close-up so okay. that's a close-up on if you go back you'll see the painting oh so you haven't uh, quite crossed oh, the line into oh, com- right on the right hand side there so that's
1: that's that painting hmm. that that's was almost entirely
0: abstract i mean you've got this tiny
1: it is and i have some more to paint on her hands and things she's a fire dancer a friend of ours who is a model and uh, she's a, she's a fire dancer as well, so I took photographs of her behind my studio twirling her fire things and doing well, some long exposures with her. So if you go to the face, you can see, um, uh, yeah, you do right uh, here. There you go. Yeah, so you can see a little bit of the face in there. So yeah, some, some drift more towards full abstract and some drift more towards full realism. Um, and it depends on the subject to which degree I, and that's in progress. That's a painting in progress. So I have a little more to do to it, but. Um,
0: so you obviously yeah. can do, f- you obviously are comfortable entirely in realism. We've seen some of those, but you think you'd ever be comfortable yeah. entirely abstract?
1: No. And it's, it's funny too, because I get, I get some funny messages from people. I get messages, angry messages from people who like my older paintings more. No way! And, you don't uh, get they, they angry, literally oh yeah, I mean, angry. made me made me post one, not angry, just funny. Uh, but yeah, people will be like, "Oh, so you're going to become an abstract artist now?" Or Sue made me post one of them on Instagram. I don't know, maybe three or four months ago, because people write these things and they said you used to be a good artist, and uh-huh. I thought maybe they 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 misspoke, and so I said, "Oh, well, thank you." And they said, "No, I mean, I liked your old work." Better. I don't like what you're doing now. And uh and then Good. I get some modern artists who will write when I like that close up you saw, and you said that's full on abstract. And when they see the close-up before seeing what it's part of, they'll say, I'm so excited that you've gone full abstract. And then I say, Oh, well, no, if you swipe, if you swipe back to the original <laughs> you image, you can't win. And then they'll yeah. say, I'm so disappointed. Well, I challenge you to go full abstract. Why do you have to make it a person or whatever? And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to go full abstract. I uh, you know, I, I, I like the combination
0: of these things. So it's kinda of funny. You know yeah. what that's kinda of like? It's kinda of like being an independent in, in the US right now. That's what I am. <laughs> independent. Stuck, what do you mean? You're stuck right in the middle of all the all, all the other Oh events. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh
1: man. Well, I think everybody has different uh you know the, the people like to put you in a category yeah. and stay there. And most people, like if you're talking about like as far as independent political things, most people disagree on all kinds of these different things. No, there's very few people who are pure any one party yeah. or any one thing. And so it's just that people like to create these categories. And when you start to drift, especially if people have already put you in that category and then you start to change, it's like Dylan going electric, you know, people are so angry. You know, half the people are so angry at him. So.
0: Well, yeah, I like what you're doing. Person. I, I, I absolutely love the direction you're going. Um, <laughs> I think it's, um, frankly, I hope that I hope you don't take it the wrong way because I've always been a huge fan of yours. So I've always thought you were a master painter, but I feel like it's more sophisticated now. Like you are communicating more now. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping. I hope I can get better and better. I mean, I'm trying to, but
1: I mean, half this the time I just. Um, awesome i don't <laughs> i love that So we tell you you should have seen it on the first version really that was one that i painted over i literally painted that face over like 10 times it was crazy well, yeah. like,
0: and it's I, uh I is it pretty it smooth under it looks like at, in all the painting i would
1: keep scraping it off and scraping it off and repainting it and yeah. It's crazy how many layers there were in that.
0: And look at that buildup. What are you doing? Cleaning your brush over here or something? I mean, are you just, yeah, I mean,
1: it would sit dry with it. They sit and sit dry and then I'll paint over them again and again and again. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's just, it is really, what? it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, I abandon it and I was, some, some paintings I, I finally do really abandon it. And then I just abstract the whole thing after it's been sitting there for like a year. And then I'll paint a completely different painting on top of for it. For a year. And uh, You're kidding me. Yeah, once it's dried thoroughly and you can do that. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I've got like probably 15, 16 paintings going in the studio right now at different stages. And I'll let them dry, work on them again. The nice thing about that is sometimes uh, if you want to try something drastic and you let it dry for like three or four months, it's dried thoroughly. How do so you have the patience for that? Them, what's that? How do you have the
0: patience for that?
1: Well, I mean, you just have a lot of paintings in there. So, and and when they're not working, I'll just turn them aside and I'll
0: oh, so you turn them uh, over and so forget about them.
1: Well, I'll try to, and then I'll look at them fresh, and um, and if and then you can do something drastic, and if you don't like it, you can just wash it off, and you because you still got the dry painting underneath, and you can put washes on them if they've dried like five or six months. You can put washes over them, and they won't crack it then too. So right, um, but yeah, I used to only paint. It's funny because soon I. She's always worked on multiple paintings and at different stages, um, but I used to only paint a painting until I finished it before I started another one. And so it's only been in the last maybe eight or nine years that I've started to actually paint things in stages and do many do layers or put them aside, I have a whole bunch of paintings going at once. But I've got a whole bunch of paintings in the studio going right now, and um, you know it's hard to know when you're done sometimes.
0: Yeah, that would seem really difficult. It, this is why this is why that would be hard for me because I do as you know, I do large paintings and often multi-figure and it's torturous sometimes going home day after day, month after month and even year after year in some cases and not seeing a finished work and just wondering if it'll ever come yeah. together. Do you yeah. ever feel like that when you've got 12 paintings sitting around the studio and none of them are finished and you're waiting a year to for it to dry? Well, yeah. I mean, in some, some you do and they finish like the one I did of Danka, I
1: was going to work more on that, but I just think I'm going to just leave it. I kind of like the way it was. So it's amazing. Just three hours and I'm done, but then other ones, they're just not right. And so I'll work on them and I'll try this. I'll try that. It's really, it's not so much. It's like my choice, like this one of uh, Rose, I The first version, I I thought I was almost done, you know, really within like a day or two. And uh, I set it aside, and Sue was really saying, just don't work more on this. I really like this. And I just wasn't happy with it. And so then I tried again, but it wasn't working. And so then it's it's, it's not really like a choice. Like I go into it thinking this is going to take me, you know, a year to do. It's almost like some get done quickly, and I, I think, okay, that's it. And then some, I just have to keep... Trying that, I just don't feel like it's worked. Uh, so, the ones that end up staying in the studio are ones that I don't feel like they're working. And so, I'll repaint them or repaint them, and they go in completely different directions. Um, so, it's not even like I'm in control of it sometimes. You know, it's just yeah. like, yeah, it is frustrating. Now, I, I completely, it, it is easier to just paint the way that I know it will work. And um, that's in the past, it was more. I would finish one painting at a time and know I was done. And I might come back and touch up a couple little things to it, but I kind of, I kind of knew what I was doing. And uh, I kind of somewhat abandoned that. So,
0: yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you've said a couple times about your interactions with Sue and how, you know, she has her opinions about your paintings and you have your own, obviously. But she said similar things where you had said to her at one point, I think you need more paint on it. I remember her saying that in the interview. You need thicker paint. Which obviously Mm -hmm. you would say that. You you are a thick painter. She's a thin painter. You like thick paint. She likes thin paint. So, and I I think I asked her a little about this too, but I always find it so fascinating because I'm not married to an artist. How do you how do you balance the opinion of someone you respect and love with your own opinion because my wife who's not even an artist can crush me if she comes into the studio and says that painting sucks which she never says that but that's what i hear if it's a if it's critical it's just like most people i can say well that's cuz you're an idiot that's why you don't you don't see it but with her it's like oh no you've just crushed me you know i'm i'm toast do you, how do you balance that in a relationship with yeah. an artist you respect? How do you maintain your own voice and keep going in the direction that's natural to you when you know it's contrary to the person you respect in the same house as you?
1: Yeah, it's really difficult because, uh, you know, really early on, this was a problem. I would, you know, when Sue was, she was just... Uh, starting art school when I finit, I had finished, so she was had been there for almost a year when I met her. Um, and so, you know, I was not the best at wanting to, in fact, she gets frustrated even now. She's like, you know, you don't give me advice, you know, you don't help me with things, you know. And so when she asks me specifically, I'll really look at it and think, what can I think to say? And I'll come up with certain things, but it's usually very small technical things. Because like even early on, I used to say, well, all I can tell you is how I would paint it, you know, and it's not really how you would paint it. And so, um, you know, unless it's like a alignment thing that's wrong or the edges or whatever, um, you know, or she's asking, how do I paint thicker, you know, in this or that? And you can talk about stuff. So most of the time, it's not that way. She definitely is. I'll give her some advice on some paintings, and they're usually more technical sorts of. Sorts of things about how to improve them, um, uh, and and she definitely has more stronger opinions sometimes on my paintings. You know because I do screw lots of paintings up because I'm experimenting. <laughs> That's very modest of you. And then I'm down <laughs> because I'm like, oh man, it, I you know I liked it before and now I don't. But she's trying to protect me against myself. I think a lot of the times, but also we have different opinions. Like I said, like this painting, it's one of my favorite paintings, and and uh, there's there's been a couple others uh, that. Uh, that she was so against. And I put them in a show, uh, kind of knowing they were kind of out there, especially for like the pre to West show out West, that's a very conservative more show. And I put in four paintings that were pretty out there uh, maybe three or four years ago. And Sue was really trying to talk me out of it. And I, and I finally just did, cause I liked those. And uh, she didn't go to the show because she was didn't want me to see me crushed by how the reaction to it was <laughs> and surprisingly people loved them and they sold all of them and I won the Artist choice award and so oh my you know, god paintings rocks floating on spheres and people with horns and stuff and it was a, a strange some strange paintings that weren't really western at all but um they weren't western at all and um so you never know really and then other times you know you have something that you love and nobody's interested in it doesn't sell or just, and you it's hard to predict so i i kind of try to I, I try to do whatever i want to do and then find the right place to sell it
0: mm-hmm. so that's
1: kind of how i've always tried to do it i don't try to push against it too much it's just certain shows i i think this is my best painting so i want to put it there but a lot of the paintings i'm doing now i'm finding different galleries because i know they don't fit in the galleries i'm with but it is hard because in a lot of times I, I don't want Sue to see my paintings and she's the same way with me uh, until they're to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Because when you're working on them and if somebody comes and see, you can have, you have a vision of it, but then if they see it early and either they love it or don't like it or whatever, it can crush you, like you said. Um, so it's usually not until we're towards the end of paintings that we like to have the other person look at it. And give a fresh eye and then it's very helpful sue helps me with so many paintings where she sees things that i just couldn't see you know alignments or other issues and uh and, and then if you agree with it you do it and if you don't you just don't and uh um hmm. but it is difficult that's what's fun about it is we have we'll paint together and we paint completely differently so you know? different I mean, yeah honestly different and so i i find that so fun you know and refreshing that uh you know, that we just have our complete different takes on things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had a painting. Uh, I did it probably 12 or 13 years ago. And I remember showing my wife a photo of it in progress. I brought it home and showed her the photo in progress. She's like, I don't like the composition. I don't think it's any good in so many words. Of course, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Probably not exactly how she put it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out. It turns out to this day, 13 years later, I get, I get inquiries about this painting almost daily of people that wonder if I can make prints for them. And I don't make prints, but it's getting to the point where I have to ignore people. And this is the painting that I remember going back to the studio the next day, completely being robbed of any confidence whatsoever that this could possibly be a successful painting. But somehow I stuck with my original idea anyway and it turned out to be my literally my most successful painting, and so that's why yeah. I'm so curious about that stuff because I think if uh, if I were living with someone like, with the talent of Susan Lyon, then it would I would imagine it would be more difficult.
1: Um, well, we have separate studios for that reason too. I mean, we want to be in our own space and be thinking about things. And I'm that way when I'm writing something too. You know, when I write write a novel or something. I will not let anybody look at it until I've gotten to where I feel like it's done, you know, and then I can have people look at it and get get the get I get the reactions and see, okay, right, these areas are slower or whatever it is, Um, because it just if they don't have that excitement, it just sucks all your excitement out of it. And so I really just like to if I'm excited to keep going, you know, and Mm. and keep working on it. And uh, yeah, it's but then uh, once it's
0: done. if Sue doesn't like it, then at that point you're like, well, it's done. This is what it is. I'm gonna enter into the poor society.
1: If she doesn't like it, I really listen to her uh, her advice. And oftentimes she will see things that I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing them fresh. And uh, I'd say 90% of the time the things that she tells me are right on. And I'm just not seeing it. I'm too close to it. I can't see that the edges are too hard or or that I've overworked this or that I have some drawing error. Or any of these sorts of things. Um, some of the work I'm doing now—it's harder when it comes to that more basic level because uh, you know we just have different aesthetics, and of course that's why we paint differently. If right. we agreed on everything, we would be painting the same paintings. You know, we mm-hmm. would just we would paint the same things, and so you know that's just all there is to it. And so certain things I understand. Okay, right sue just doesn't like this kind of painting like these sorts of more abstract ones where i'm going more kind of uh into bizarre ways and so so that's just what that's just what it is so so in that sort of realm i kind of understand that right this is this is the type of thing that i'm attracted to and sue is not going to be as attracted to so it's not it's not something that i take to heart because like i said Um, You know, that was what was easy about putting this in the Portrait Society because I was sending three pictures in. So they didn't have Everybody doesn't like it. It's like, okay, that's fine, you know. But the fact that some people liked it and chose it just showed, okay, it wasn't just me, you know, it's just a different viewpoint. As we all know, we go into shows and we all have different favorite paintings. I mean, you realize if there was a different, that's why I don't take a word seriously because I mean, have twenty different judges, you'll have twenty different winners.
0: I mean, I know. many times it's crazy.
1: Uh, it's it's just personal preference, and that's what's cool about art. If we all agreed, we would just have the same paintings. You know, yeah. everybody only liked Bouguereau paintings. That's all we'd have. You know, yeah. and uh, I love that. There's people who you know like this kind of like that kind, and you know, and we, we got to remind ourselves that what we like is just what we like. It's not like a
0: definitive truth, you know, that this is the best painting, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. I mean, we really think about
1: it, you and I. I mean, it's it's
0: interesting. Well, I don't think most of us, I, well, I can't speak for other people, but my guess is that most of us, the issue isn't that we think we're right. Most, most of us, the issue is we wonder if we're wrong all the time. I mean, like, oh man, well, are we I mean, screwing yeah, that's, up? That's,
1: second guessing is so hard, you know? Yeah. And, and, the the hardest thing is is you really questioning yourself. I do this all the time with my paintings, with writing, with everything. Thinking, do I like this because I did it, yeah. or is it is it good because you know it's it's good? And sometimes that's what help helps is if you put something aside for a while and then you look at it and you still like it. It can get you that distance, you know. Mm-hmm. So so tell me about this painting. Uh, this this is that that same girl Olivia who was in that fire painting one. Okay. So She's a circus performer, and she actually makes her costumes. So she made this costume, her her headdress, and all the other stuff. So I had uh, been I did a painting of her, and then I had, took some photos of her outside uh, at my studio. I might have some close ups of this one too on there, but um, yeah. So it was just fun. It, it's it's a pretty big painting, so it's life size. Wow. Um, and I just was, uh, she, she loves fantasy art and dressing all these different parts and things like that. So I thought it would be fun. This is just outside my studio that I took the photograph of her after a painting session. And um, so yeah, she's, she's really cool. So yeah, so I just wanna create something interesting. Um, that background was again, something that I had just uh, had acrylic washes on. And then I um, I painted her then in oil on top of that, and some of the acrylic shows through hmm.
0: um, with it, so yeah. Do you use acrylic just so you can get started quicker, just to provide a base quickly?
1: Yeah, I'm starting to do that, to just cover cover some spaces, cover some of the white, and create some abstract things. The problem often with if I do this in oil, and some I do the whole thing in oil, like I did that one of rose, and it has all the texture, But if you go thickly textured with the oil, you have to wait for it to dry long enough till you work over it, Um, especially if you put some thin things for it to crack. But with the acrylics, you can put thick acrylic on top. You can put it on with palette knife. You can splatter it on there. You can do all kinds of things, and then it'll dry in a couple days very thoroughly. Then you can paint right over it with oil, and you can um, use thick textures right over that or washes over it. And rub it and all that stuff, and you're not going to have to worry about it cracking. It's just like working over gesso. Like if you right. gesso something with texture, it's exactly like that. It, it feels. That's basically what it is. It's just gesso. Yeah. Acrylic is just basically gesso. Yeah. So yeah. So it's kind of fun. Just um, so many people have written me wanting to know what the story of this is, and they have their own ideas of what it are, what what it is, and I don't particularly have a particular story for this one. I like to just create something that's compelling, and I love people making up their own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have a story in mind and I'll tell people, but mostly I like to just create something evocative. And um, and then sometimes I'll actually write a story, write a short story to go with the paintings, and then people think, "Well, I had the story and I illustrated with this," but it's usually the other way around.
0: Really? No kidding. Yeah. Where could yeah. where could one find those stories? Do you have them published anywhere?
1: I put some of them on medium, my medium page, Do you know, okay. medium is where I'm you can publish familiar. stories and stuff. Uh, it's yeah. Medium is great. It's free. And uh, it's a huge thing. I have links in my, on my Facebook page, you know, where you have your, your information profiles. Yeah. To, yeah. My profile, I, have, I have link to the Patreon website we have or whatever that is. And then medium and uh, also uh, some links to some of my books on Amazon and Audible. Um, and, and then also Facebook an account
0: is just Scott Burdick? Or is it Scott Burdick oh, Art? Gosh, probably just put my name in and it'll come okay. up. Yeah, well, you have to Scott send me Burdick those links. So I can put and then in the on Instagram notes. too.
1: If you go to the link tree on Instagram, it, it has a link to the Medium pages and things. And oh, good. Okay. I put in short stories. I put in essays on things. There's se- several essays on art. Um Actually, after our talk at uh, we, we all had, I had so much fun talking with you and the other group of people that artists in the show about AI. I was uh, gonna bring that was, up. Yeah. Yeah, that was so fun. I loved that was my favorite, favorite part of that show was us talking about that. And I learned a lot. And several of the artists there had read my first novel, Nahala, which was 10 years ago that I published that. And so it was interesting because a lot of them were In fact, some of them that contacted me before the Porch Society said they wanted to have a discussion that with me and other people about AI, because that first novel dealt with AI. Yeah. Um, And it was so long ago. And when it first came out, a lot of people were like, I think you're overestimating how quickly (laughs) this is going to happen. And no, nobody says that because it's changed so much. Um, But it was really interesting uh, after that. There's a lot of, I thought so deeply about it and written the whole novel about all of those issues with artificial intelligence. And um, uh, and it was quite a popular book, you know, in science fiction. And, and even some of the, some colleges use it for their introductory wow. course to um, philosophy. Because a lot of the philosophical schools and ideas of, of technology and morality and all that sort of stuff are in there and embodied in different characters. But it was Interesting how um, a lot of the people there who had read that book, they're like, I can't believe you haven't even tried chat GPT or any AI. And I wasn't at all interested in, as you know from our talk, I wasn't interested at all in using AI work. And we talked about the moral implications and all the different things. But I came back and the day after, just for fun, I did chat GPT for the first time. Really? And I posted it on Medium just so that people could read it. And I posted that, posted that link on Facebook, but it was interesting. I, I did a chat GPT. It's the only time I have. And I asked it, um, what's the difference between a cult and religion? And had this long discussion with it. And then I had it write a story based on one sentence outline that I did. And it wrote a, like, a four-page short story based on that. And it was very interesting um, to see how, how it would take this kernel of creativity and then create its own thing. So it was interesting. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I remember bits and pieces of the conversation, but the problem is I can't remember who believed what there were enough people in the conversation. that it's all kind of a blur (laughs) who thought what, right. But where do you stand on it now and using it in art and not just for yourself, but do you have feelings about the future of art now that AI is starting to be introduced?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that was what was fun. Our, I think our discussion went like two or three hours. Oh man. It was, it was so yeah, it was wild. We, and and we was even really moved from one room to another, that, didn't
0: we? Or something. And I was
1: surprised at how many artists uh, there that were even in the show that were using AI, you know, to different ways, not actually to create their paintings, but to create
0: compositions or to give them ideas. There was no one and, in our uh, group Jeremy using AI, AI, was there? there? What's that? There was no one in our conversation group using AI, was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You 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 must have been blocking it out. I know you were so upset about AI. So yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, um one artist was using it to he had done a self-portrait of himself and he put it he said he built a model with a hundred artists, you know, like with Waterhouse and all these different other famous artists and stuff. And and to and then he had to create a face, uh like his with a beard, but he didn't know where it got the face from. And then he said it was really interesting because he had been having trouble doing his eyes. And so he was looking at it and seeing how it used the do the brushstrokes using all these different the model that he built based on it. Um, and so he used that in his painting. He didn't copy the painting. He was still looking at himself in a mirror, um, but then he used the way that it had designed the brushstrokes. Another artist was using it um, to create. Said it was hard uh, to get models. And so it was creating compositions using those AI models uh, to pose different people in different compositions, creating rooms and stuff like this, and lighting it with the AI and then tweaking it, uh, having artificial. And again, it didn't know where the figures were coming from. It was taking it from other artworks or from photographs. But then they use that then to hire models themselves. So they're using it as as the way to design or figure out their composition and perspective and all that. And then they're hiring models to actually paint
0: the scenes. Oh, and then I, I must product. be losing my mind. I don't remember this. You sure you didn't That's have more than you one conversation that. that night? What's that? You, sh- you sure you didn't yeah, have more the than only one conversation? conversation? I had. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, I'm so brave. We dead. talked about
1: that. And wow. well, well, you're asking me what I think about yeah. it. One of the things I talked about in that conversation was one of the questions with AI to me, it's like when you work from photographs, okay? If you're working from your own photographs, your own inspiration and all that, you're of course drawing on other photographs you've seen and other artists, so, but really you're creating most of it yourself, okay? Now, if you're working with uh, a photographer who you're buying, and one of the artists in that conversation also said they bought their photographs from professional photographers yeah. and got the rights to them. And then we're using them to do do Now that I remember. Okay? Yeah. And so, so in that context, you're, you're collaborating. It's a collaborative, just like all movies are and everything. And our paintings are collaborative to some extent where you say you've seen Schmidt, you've seen Sargent and stuff, but not to that extent where the actual subject matter is being photographed by somebody else or set up or the model is. So it's a collaboration. But then once you get to AI and you're doing, most of the things, you're not even an artist. Some of the really great AI things that you see are completely being created by somebody else. You think about what is the percentage of my input in this creative thing? Am I just having fine things and I'm tweaking it? I'm telling it, look at this artist, at this painting. Um, And if it's not even your own work, then I don't think you're actually doing that much. So it's not that I'm against it. I'm against it for myself because I like to create my own own art myself. and I am not against collaboration either. If you're working on a movie or you're working at Pixar, or if you're getting other people's photographers to work with you, it's a collaboration. But I have no desire. I have so many ideas and things I want to do on my own. Now, where it becomes a problem is that these AI models are being trained on people's work. Like Jeremy Lipkin had mentioned to me, well, my name is in, is, is in those, so is his, and so is a lot of other artists. So people can click. You know, mix Scott Burdick with this, with that, with this. And so they'll, and they, in, in individual paintings that it's been trained on. So that's being done without permission. Uh, it's not as much of an issue for me because I do original paintings. That's how I make my money. But For artists that are, say, a a, a creating comic books or they're creating graphic novels, uh, there's many cases where somebody will spend years making a graphic novel, and then they put it out there, and literally within a day or two, There's 10 new episodes of this graphic novel based on their work. You can see it's the same style of art, the same characters. The writing is similar. So that when you get to that point, it gets to the point where, um, you know, and this person making it is not an artist, did not come up with it. So there has to be changes uh, for that. Um, And uh, yeah, and one of the things that was most interesting to me was in our discussion was, will AI be able to do better than we are doing and therefore put us out of business because we can't compete with the level of work that they're doing? And uh, that's always an issue. I mean, that's what happened when photography started. Uh, Artists thought there's not going to be any painting anymore because who's going to, you can get a perfect photograph and very few artists can even do a very good likeness of somebody. So what happened though, it didn't put art out out of business. It did probably put a lot of, portrait artists out of business who were just meant to do a likeness. Um, but then the really good ones that were doing more personal work um, that the photography couldn't do, it, it just changed to something else. And so I think our work will still be around. Um, but again, a lot of these AIs, they're only drawing from the creative work that has gone before. And so they're not putting anything new. You need to have a person at the helm to do that. Mm-hmm. So but what the thing that was most interesting to me about our discussion was literally a week before uh we went to the Porch Society, it was funny because Sue, whenever I follow the AI things, and it's interesting to see because some of it is really cool and, and it's all cool really
0: cool. And interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I like looking at it, and I'm not I'm not against it. I'm against people borrowing sometimes. Some of these pictures will show, oh, that's literally copying this model from a cover, or this, or this photographer's work. Um, but I would show sometimes Sue some of these on my phone. I'd say, oh, look at this. And she's like, oh, that's AI, I can tell. I don't like it. And she
0: was more your reaction. She's like, I don't yeah. want
1: anything to do with anything AI. I hate that stuff, it looks creepy too. She's like, it looks creepy. I can tell it's AI, I don't wanna see
0: it. It's a little different than my perspective, but yeah. I can understand Well, you you
1: seem pretty strongly against no, it. No, I'm against it, about.
0: but not because it's creepy. I'm against it because right. of the things you had said earlier where it's it's just a computer borrowing from other artists. And granted, I mean, the, the argument that a lot of artists make is it's just a tool, it's just another tool. Well, this is the first tool that takes from other artists. This is the first tool that's borrowing the intelligences of living artists out there. And a camera is just a machine. This is an is a form of intelligence in a way, and it's mm-hmm. it's different. It's it's not the same as just a tool, in my opinion. Does it look oh, creepy? No. The there are some That's artists right. out there that are making work that I didn't know was AI, and then I found out it was AI, and I'm like, well, that explains why their work improved so much in in one week. Now,
1: that was that was the thing that happened with Sue. Is was uh, a week before we went to the Portrait Society. She showed me a picture on her phone. She follows things more. She she finds things more than I do. I don't tend to look as much as she does at a lot of art people are doing. And so she's often showing me things. I'm like, oh, that's so great. So she showed me this picture and uh she's good Isn't this amazing? I mean it's like it's like waterhouse, but it's more even yeah, more we're talking elaborate. You know, it's like yeah. people on boats and I can't remember the name of the AI artists, it's people on boats, and they were like like lanterns flying up into the air mm-hmm, that were like mm-hmm. glowing and stuff and she's like isn't this incredible i like this i'm following this for you you gotta follow and i said oh i said that's one of the ai artists i hate to tell you that i follow and sue was so angry she was so upset she was like <laughs> yeah. "What?" that's AI. I said, well, if you swipe to the side too, you'll see like a dozen different versions of that painting, you know, with all kinds of different compositions, but based on that model that that person had made it. And she was really upset. And she said, oh, I'm unliking, I'm unfollowing un- 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 this person. And uh, I was trying to get in a conversation with her about like, well, that's the interesting thing. Cause then it comes down to this image was beautiful, but do you not like it now? Because you know how it was done. It's like people who say, if it's done from photographs and not from life. It's not really art. You know, there's all these process um, issues. So um, we, she was, didn't really want to have it that much of a discussion. She said, this person is just cheating and he's just stealing other people's work. And if you look at his regular work, he isn't that, he isn't anywhere near that level of an artist. So it's complicated, you know? And, And again, I would say that those works were beautiful. I don't really think that they, you could say that these were the artwork of this particular person. Um, although I, I know that, that to different degrees, some people will work more on the picture. Maybe even start out with a sketch. Maybe put them in Photoshop and work more on them to make them look like paintings. So there is art and craft that goes into it. Um, and so, like I said before, it just depends. For some people, it's simply just finding it and that's the image. Craven model is what they're doing. Um, and then other people, it is a lot of uh, their 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 creative uses are part of it. So it's complicated. I, it is. I, I don't really know. Um, I don't really have a super judgmental on it as far as uh, just the general thing. I can see specific examples where I think it's definitely wrong. Um, I don't know that it will be able to be stopped. I think, you know, whatever laws we pass here, there's going to be countries that, that they'll be using these AI models, and uh, you know, um, unless you're like we're doing with China now, trying to stop them from get these, getting these these advanced chips that can create AI. Um, I, I, as in my book, Nala, no, I, I, I don't think it's stoppable, and in some extents, it makes me excited to see what is going to be created in the future, what human artists and AIs are going to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you take it further, like I do in my story goes a thousand years into the future, uh, it's even more interesting than just this little slice of now with AI. I mean, when you get true artificial intelligence uh, and they can do things that we can't even imagine doing, um, that they're not even copying artists, but they're actually creating things and coming up with scientific discoveries. And uh, in in my story, uh, the uh, AI Uh, solves many of like, we're talking about being born at the right time in medical science, somebody that has cured all diseases that has, you know, cured aging that's created, you know, all of these wonders of, of technology. And yet when they try to explain it to us, we cannot understand even the basic principles because it's so far beyond it. We like trying to explain algebra to a dog, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, when you get to that point, then you really come to an existential, you know, question of, you know, do, you know, if, if everything can be done by uh, AI better than we could, is there a point of doing anything? Do we have anything to say? Um, I still think that we will, um, but you can understand that would be a humbling thing, you know. But, I mean, it's kind of like I look at it in some ways of thinking you, when you, if if you have a child, you want that child to exceed you. You want the next generation to go beyond what you've done. And do things better than you did. Uh, so, if you consider AI and the new artificial intelligence beings as our children of our minds, they um, uh, they are our next generation. You know, it seems almost inevitable that they will take the next step forward in mm-hmm. you know in evolution and all of that sort of thing. So, uh, and it may be that they are truly more advanced than us, and they will look at us and say, "Well." Wow, you know you guys really can't be trusted with nuclear weapons or all this stuff i mean you're just destroying everything left and right and uh, they might not look at it in the same way we fear that they would wipe us out but probably our greater fear is that we will wipe ourselves out with these new technologies that we're creating and and it could be that ai is is one of those but yeah. it might be that it's what saves us too who knows
0: yeah it it's a really complex issue and i still am I mean, I have, as you said, I have really strong feelings on it, but I'm not, you know, I realize that my opinions can change over time. And so that's, yeah, so I'm not sure. Have you ever been uh, wanting to try it out? No. Yeah. I'm not opposed to it. I know I've never been curious about, I'm not curious about it at all. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm not morally opposed to it. I don't think this is a moral issue, except in that it is stealing from other artists. And, as I you agree. say, it's a collaborative thing, and the artists that are doing it need to credit the source, which is impossible to do. So since it's impossible to do, it shouldn't be done. right? that that then that's the only moral component. So if you can't if you can't know the artist like this artist we talked about that's clearly interested in Waterhouse and typing Waterhouse, they should be crediting waterhouse and and they should be saying it's a collaborative thing. In that sense, it is a moral issue. But as far as the you know, there's a lot of artists that say gridding is cheating or projecting is cheating. What does that even right. mean, right? I don't grid, I don't project because it, for a variety of reasons, which I'll explain one of the things that offends me, and it's because of this reason. But it's not that doesn't mean it's cheating. It's not a moral issue to project. It's just some people don't want to learn to draw, and they but they want to make art, so to speak. So they project. But that does lead to the other thing that bothers me about AI and that is that there in my opinion there are two reasons to make art one is to make a picture that you can look at and the other is to become good at something for me personally I make things I build things I paint things because I want to have the satisfaction of having done something hard and succeeded Mm -hmm. in it so for me personally that's what offends me about AI is that there's a difference between a human having done something hard and just making a picture.
1: Well, and that, and that points to the dual aspects of painting and art, art in general, it could be singing. It can be, it can be, right. story-telling, sports. It be all the sorts of sports. Yeah. And there is this dual aspect that is a cultural thing that probably goes all the way back to stone age times where, you know, you know, uh, when you're competing for mates, somebody who can, you know, uh, something or can make something a tool that others can't make, people look at that and they think, wow, that's, you know, it's almost like a uh, sexual selection sort of thing. Like this is a skill that a woman would find attractive or a man, you know, and so it's like selecting somebody who is, oh, they're proving their ability to conceptualize, to create things, to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a that's a skill that is important. And you see it in art where just if you're in school, you know, even, even as kids and, you know, people are drawing things and someone has a drawing and they're like, they're judging, oh, wow, that person is actually very skilled at observing something and then drawing it like this or writing a story or doing a song. And then if you find out they traced it, oh, well, they're not actually good at that skill. They don't have the mental ability to conceptualize and visualize this three-dimensional object that they're creating a, a model of or whatever, if they created it with a 3D printer or something or copied it, or it was a box set they put together. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, we have inherited that judgment, like you're talking about, looking at somebody and saying, that's somebody with a lot of skill. And so if you realize somebody projected something, okay, they're cheating. They can't actually do that. They're just making other people think they can and think they're better than they can. Now, the competent artist can draw and project the same thing. If all you want to do is copy something exactly, it's just a skill that we've got. Uh, And like you said, somebody who hasn't got that skill, they have to project. Now, the really good artist usually doesn't want to copy something exactly the way it is. And so projecting can become a detriment to actually creating something artistic, where you're changing, you're stretching you're constantly changing things. And so that's what you won't see from somebody who projects because they're not gonna be making those, all of those adjustments that you'll make. So I think you're right. I think the AI thing is, you know, when someone puts this stuff out and says, this is my art, it's like somebody who says, here's my song, but you realize, oh, wait, they've used AI to copy some other artists thing. Um, Maybe they've used auto-tune on their voice. and And then you realize, okay, wait, they're cheating. So the idea of cheating in art is something beyond the actual work itself. And we used to talk about that at the Pallet and Chisel. I remember Richard would say, one of the times when he brought up, we bring up these different topics that we would discuss, he said, uh, is, is the what is more important, the finished work of art and the impact it has on people or the experience of creating it or the skill in creating it? So is it your experience? Is it a proof of your skill? Or is the work itself stand alone? As if it, if you think of it, this is something we dug up from hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, the Greeks made. You have no idea how they created it, who created it, who the person it was that it was portraying, does it still move you? And if the answer is yes, it's a work of art. Um, And so that these questions become complicated if you find out that this sculpture you dug up wasn't actually even created by that person, but it was a copy, of a previous master from the Greeks or something. It wasn't a Roman one. And so then does that change your view of the work of art? So it is it is fascinating. Yeah, how and, and works two people would say two levels. different
0: things. They would have different responses to those two questions. You know, I just yeah. heard a podcast yesterday. I don't know, uh, it's, uh, uh, what's the name of the podcast? Uh, this is the way I heard it with Mike Rowe. I think that's the name of it. Anyway, he interviewed this guy Who's doing this project and he goes by Indiana Stones? And it's a it's an Irish man who's going all around Ireland and trying to find all these lifting stones that because it, it's an Irish tradition that goes way back, maybe thousands of years, where the men proved their strength by picking up these stones. And these stones, they're just there still. Some of them are still there, and they could be hundreds or thousands of years old. And there's all these stories and traditions around them. So this guy's going around and he's literally finding all of these stones, and and then he's also training to be able to pick up these stones. And so as he's going from place to place and finding these stones, he's picking them up and then he's telling the stories about who picked them up a thousand years ago and so on. It's really interesting, even though it's such a ridiculously simple—simple simple as in it's 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 not intellectually complex, right? You're just moving a stone from one place to another. It's obviously incredibly difficult physically, but if I were to watch a man or anyone, any one of us were to watch a man pick up a stone, any number of us would be unbelievably impressed. These are these are boulders, stones doesn't do it. Right. These are like you know 150 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, and they're weird shapes and everything. To watch these guys pick them up. It's just incredible to see the human body do that, right? But if a crane drove up and picked it up, none of us would go there to watch it, right? And none of us would be impressed. Now, if someone designed that crane and we could go and and shake the hand of the man who invented the crane, well, that's a different story. But the crane becomes the art, not the moving of the stone, right? Well, and sometimes it's not even the the actual moving of the stone. It could be the other
1: history of the person who moved the stone. So maybe it's not the heaviest stone ever created, but you see this stone, you say, well, you know, Alexander the Great lifted this stone up.
0: Right, but even even if if we were currently in the place where the first stone was lifted, people would come Mm -hmm. to see a man do something difficult that no one else in the village could do, right? And then yeah. if someone drove up in their crane, obviously there were no cranes back then, and then picked up the stone, everyone would be like, whatever. But then if they met the engineer, they'd shake his hand for being mentally intelligent.
1: Right. My
0: point in that is I would like to shake the hand of the people. I think the true artists are the ones inventing the AI. <laughs> Those are the great artists. Well, and- like I said,
1: I think the AI can be great art. It's a collaboration. And so right. the, the true artist might be just the person writing the code for it. You know, right. and um, and so they, you can celebrate them for that as well. But these AI works, they are they they can't even tell you the AI can't show its work. A lot of people who, when they come up with their final thing, they might create a model, but AI is drawing on so many millions and billions of images, and and when it comes up with stories, other stories, we don't even know what the. Inputs were for there. So it's a collaboration between this vast database of, of all artists. And so it's fascinating to try and give credit and say, what is the percentage, you know, of Waterhouse or of this artist or of that? And it may be using things that we don't even know that it's used, you know, so yeah. it's uh, it's really, it is a whole other thing. Um, it is. And giving credit, as we like to do, because we're humans, to say who who deserves credit for this and oftentimes i mean even even inventions and things like that that some of the people that we give credit for when you actually delve into the history oh wait it was actually someone else's idea or it's like a dozen different things or it was part of the whole milieu of the time you know it wasn't just that one person who but we like to be able to we often like to simplify things and say yeah that's the person who lifted this stone or you know or whatever and and You know, it's, it's, it's complicated,
0: yeah. It is complicated. You know, but to me personally, just to sum up my personal opinion, not that anyone cares, but when I hang a piece, a painting on the wall, to me, it's a celebration of the human endeavor, of human ingenuity, of human talent, of human craftsmanship. And I could appreciate a beautiful image from a machine, but I think of a painting as as what I described, as something that represents something that was difficult to be done by a human being. And that's what makes me appreciate it. So it's it, it's not, to me, it's not a question of who's right or who's wrong. It's a question of what you want in the art you collect or the art you make. My only fear is that it puts the artists out of business because in a hundred years, there are no people like me left. But that fear is pretty minimal because frankly, I think AI is going to drive human beings to want handmade things more. I agree, yeah. Yeah, so I only have a tiny bit of fear of that because we've seen that happen. I mean, it it was 10 years ago. I remember seeing all of these uh, articles or or hearing all these news programs of how how handmade things are coming back. People are starting to become leather workers Mm -hmm. again. People are starting to make jewelry by hand again because they're so tired of machine-made things. I think that's going to happen over and over and over again. So I'm not too worried about it, but it does frustrate me a little to work really hard on a painting and then have my neighbor just plug it into AI and do the exact same painting or better painting with no effort. That one thing that does frustrate the crap out of me, but you know, what are you going to do? You pick your own, you you pick your own challenges. some Some of my newer
1: paintings that I've been really kind of going crazy with, I, I had a couple of people and i posted a few of them actually asked me if i would used ai to make them because they were so strange you know and different mm-hmm. and uh so i actually you're like no i'm had, just
0: strange that's just me <laughs> well
1: I, yeah i actually started to put i put a few of them up where i actually showed how i created the the paintings and the images and i'll, I'll i would say you know uh compute completely um you know, HHI, Human Intelligence Created, uh, just to let people know, because I was getting those questions on Instagram, and some of them are fascinating, too. I I did some where I've been doing some in Photoshop. And I did a few little demos on our Patreon site with this, where I take, because I've been having fun playing around with things and then making painting out of what I create in Photoshop. And I'm not creating them with I don't use any of Photoshop's AI things. I'm just like I took a dead bird that I photographed at my brother's. It was just lying on the in the grass. And I took it and then I flipped it in Photoshop and in, in made different layers. And then I flipped it again. And then I turned it and then I put them in layers. And then I would combine the layers with the different layer options. And you create these crazy beautiful. Um, uh, kaleidoscopic images, and so, and I did that with a photograph of Rose, I bet you I have it in those photos you have there, um, and I did that with Rose, too. Go to the top things, and let's see here. So okay. That's, that's one that, that I created like that, and I showed the work in one of our Patreon things, so the, the picture in the back is our model Rose, and the face, I flipped her, and she was wearing, like, a dress, and so, and I kaleidoscoped it, and I moved them together, And so I just created them by creating different layers out of the same photograph. And uh, you get these weird, interesting patterns and stuff. And then I painted it from the photograph. And then the the figure down at the bottom is from one of those bird ones. And then the girl there is just, I was at Nancy Guzik's, and Sue had this uh, wonderful model posing um, at her workshop. And so I had her pose for some photos, and I put her in there. But so that image was just made from all these different photographs and just playing around with things. And um, so it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. But, that, yeah, but, that's but again, that that's a tool, you know, and everyone's got their limit. You know, There, are, like you said, there are some people that won't even use photos. That was me for 14 years. It was never a moral thing, though. Yeah. It was just I wanted to push myself to the limit. And then there are people but that I found it interesting. That people were
1: asking, is this created with
0: AI? I know. I know. No, that's, yeah, it's wild. Well, then we're going to have, so, you yeah. know what? I might, I, I might want to talk to you about borrowing that. That would, that, that, uh, HI, that would make a great, a great podcast title. HI. <laughs> H. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I love that human <laughs> intelligence. Well, yeah. man, it's been awesome talking to you. I wish we could talk for another three hours. I could, I could talk to you for another three hours. <laughs> Maybe what we need to do is like we talked about at the Porsche Society is get a few of us together. And maybe even invite this artist we're we're talking about, get his opinion. I've read some of his writings about it and he, you know, he makes makes very intelligent arguments, doesn't convince me, but he makes intelligent arguments. But yeah, it'd be an interesting conversation. But before we go, I want to ask you one final question. And that is, what advice would you give an aspiring young artist that wants, or I always say young, and then I correct myself, an aspiring artist that wants to take a crack at this career?
1: Well, again, I think you just gotta be honest with yourself. What do you like? What are you attracted to? Um, I I just did a little class for uh, 35 students uh, in Bartlesville at the Woolworth Museum. I stayed a day after that. And I had this conversation with a lot of the different young artists there in their AP art groups. Um, And it was really just asking them, what are you most excited about? So figure out what you like to do and then find the place for it don't say i have to be in a galleries or i mean some people want to do comic books some people want to do animation some people you know all these different sorts of sorts of art so you really have to be honest with yourself and just think what am i attracted to not what do i think an artist should do and then you 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 try to find your path that way you say okay i got to paint with people who paint this type of things that I like to paint, or I've got to get with a group of people who are doing the types of art that I want to do. Um, I think that's my best advice, really. Uh, And then travel, you know, to where you can, if it's a workshop, or just to get together with people, or start a sketch group in your house, um, or go paint landscapes, or get into a group of like-minded comic book artists, or whatever hurts those people out. And, um, you know, nowadays, you can even do it on the internet. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think getting into a group of people that are on the same wavelength as you, I think is the most important thing. Because like you said, with us at the Pallet and Chisel, and now you can do it online. um, You know, when you're with a group, you push each other, you learn from each other. Um, It's easier often it's good to have the master and the person that's going to teach you some of the basics, but with other people, you push each other in a different different way. Uh, and so, I think that is the most important thing: is to get together with other people that are. And I mean, that's just that the best way to learn is from you know your your fellow you know
0: artists. Yeah, good advice. I think Susan had the same advice. You guys really are meant for each oh, other. Didn't oh, did she? <laughs> I think she might have. <laughs> you certainly said that at some point in the podcast how important it is for her and for all of us to have artist friends. She definitely addressed that. I can't remember if it was her final word or not, but I think it's great advice. I mean, and the, frankly, even if you, even if they're not the best of the best artists, you can always learn from somebody, even even someone who's yep. not as advanced. So um that's great advice so thanks again man you are i've i've admired you forever yeah it's always great talking to you and are you guys going to the porch Society this year
1: yes we're definitely going because of course you are with
0: you oh uh, my such a moron (laughs) yeah because i'll be demonstrating but you're going with her okay good
1: i'll be coming as just tech support and uh, and I'll probably just come and bring my paints. I don't have to do any talks or anything this year. So it'll be really fun to just come and I'll bring my paints and my drawing stuff and I'll just
0: do sketches and things and maybe have talks about AI with you and other yeah. people. <laughs> you know what we need to do this year? You need to, We need to get, not in one of the classrooms. I know Christine's going to kill me, but... Just a few of us get together and paint one evening or something. I think we should try that. I've year. done that many times where I just
1: paint by the stairs and we'll have a model's pose yeah. and stuff. And yeah, well, let's do it. Tons of time
0: let's do it. All right. Well, we'll see yeah. you in the spring. Great to have you. Thanks for tuning in to the undraped artist podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could leave a comment or review, that really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at the artist.com. Thanks again for watching, we'll see you next week.